It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Coffee and cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Now the pitch. And Freddie cues one inside the third. That's a fair ball. Mookie's going to run around third. He will score easily. Freddie racing for second. He is safe with a pop-up slide. It is three to nothing. Rangers lead 5-1, and Leote strokes one high in the air to left center field. That's deep, but Ruiz at the wall, leaps and can't get it. It bounces off the wall and back toward the infield. Around third and in to score is Grossman, and all the way to third at the stand-up triple is Leote Tavares. Now the payoff. Swung on, there it goes. Oh, it's hit high. It is far. The hood is gone. Aaron Judge, he hit one about as high as he hit it far. A Judgean blast. Oh, baby, was it ever. Well, it's, it's Judgment Day. And all rise. Here comes the judge as he homers to deep left in the Yankees' lead, 7-1. Here comes the pitch, and he swings and hits it well down the right field line. If it's fair, it's gone. It is a fair ball. Long home run. Michael Massey, a two-run shot, and the Royals lead it 9-2. A majestic home run that stayed fair. And Michael Massey has his 10th homer on the year. And the Royals lead by seven. Call it a majestic morning, Robbie. Get to keep our voices down. Golfers are on the course today. That's true. Keep them low. Keep them smooth. Jim Nance it today as we are out at the Pinnacle Bank Championship. I'm just kidding. We're out at the Pinnacle Bank Championship. At, we are live from the club at Indian Creek. He's Ravi Lula. I'm Andrew Rogers. Ravi in the chair for DB this week. He'll be back next week, though, so no worries there. We've got a jam-packed show for you. An incredible day here at the club at Indian Creek. The sun's coming up. The mist is coming off the course a little bit. It's really nice. It's cool. It's, it's unbelievable. Chill. We are on hole 17. That's the Herd at Sports Pavilion. There's a boat in the water. You can find yourself on that boat. You'll probably find me on that boat at some point later today. Come over to the Herdad Harbor, sign up. You can also sign up to win 10 grand. All you have to do is scan a code. You type in your email and boom, you're in a raffle. If a golfer today or tomorrow, whenever you show up, hits, uh, hits a hole in one, you have to be present to win but you win 10 grand. So that's not too shabby. Um, I don't think we can play though, Robbie. Unfortunately, no. And you know, I could use 10 grand because I was driving in today (laughs) and I looked down at my, uh, my very fancy, like spaceship, like speedometer area. Sure. And all of a sudden pops up, Hey, you have uh, 23 miles till empty. And I'm like, Oh, 23 miles. How long does it take to get to Indian Creek? Oh, it takes 17 miles. (laughs) So right now I have six miles left in my gas tank. And I was curious. And Cam, you chime in. Shane, feel free to chime in too. But I bet Shane, like, fills up on the regular. How long do you go? Or what's the longest you've ever gone 
before filling up your gas tank. You mean like the lowest I've allowed it mm-hmm. to go? Uh, so I'm pretty paranoid about this. I'm not, I don't really uh, live dangerously in that sense, the way uh, my wife certainly does, um, which is kind of hilarious. So she's got a plug-in hybrid. So she has two different fuel sources to allow her to where she needs to get to go. And she regularly is running on empty on both of them, both electric and gas power. And I'm like, how does that even happen? You've got double options here. How do we not have any energy in either of them? Um, so I don't I, I don't ride the line like that. I'm not I one of those know. people. She's also one of those people that lets her phone die constantly, which is actually what they tell you to do. Right. Like, let it die. Charge it all the way back up because that will preserve your battery. I for don't a do that because I don't like having my phone die. She just is. She's out there living free and and carefree with letting her battery die, letting her her car run out, run into empty. I don't do that. If once I get to like. I'm not a quarter of a tank guy, but I don't go a ton past there. Usually when my uh, my little range finder guy says I'm below, honestly, as soon as I get below like 100 miles, I start I start planning, okay, when do I have time to get to a gas station? So you, do you uh, drive a hybrid? I don't. No, mine is not. Hers but you, but is. your wife's Hers is. is. Mine isn't. Cam, how low do you go? Well... I'm not ashamed to admit this. Can you go? But I've only run out of gas one time. It was <laughs> You've actually year. run out of gas? Yeah, it was in the past year. So I'm pretty near 40. So that's a pretty good run. Yeah, you had pretty a nice run. run. Yeah, every yeah. 40 years, you'll yeah. just run out of gas. <laughs> and it, was, it was one of those days <laughs> right where I took a long way to work. And I was like, ah, and it just died. Like, I'm like 20 minutes or 20 feet from work. <laughs> I was like 20 minutes. 20 feet from work. You took a really was, long way. So I 20 my minutes backpack, is not close. <laughs> I hoofed it into the office. I did my thing, and I went back, and then I filled up with gas, got the whole thing done. So, so did I, you have to go get a little tank? I did, yeah. Mm. Actually, uh, uh, one of the guys that I was producing a podcast for, he gave me a ride to the store to get the gas tank and do the whole thing. So now, I, instead of, you know, you can switch between odometer and how many miles left you have, mm-hmm. I live on how many miles yeah. left you have. That's I live on I range. Do. That's all I, I do. live on yeah. range. Yeah. See, mine says six till empty, and I'm going to trust it because it could be four. <laughs> could be. Yeah, <laughs> and, once you get under 20, it just says, eh, no, right. you got to go, buddy. Yeah, but it does count down for me, so that, so that was kind of nice. Shane, how low have you gone before? I've actually ran out of gas once before, too. But the funny thing is I actually drove by Cam's car when it was out of gas. (laughs) And he was running across the field, and I'm going, what in the heck is going on here? (laughs) But I did run out of gas once. That's because my gas gauge broke. It said I still had a quarter of a tank left. So, Can you imagine that happening? You're just like, wow, I've been, like, really doing some nice uh, some nice." clean you know but progressive type driving right you know you plug in like the snapshot or whatever and you know if you if you drive safe you get points or whatever that's shane right there no actually his his gas gauge is just broken dude i so my wife's old car before we were married had a broken gas gauge and so she ran out of gas all the time because she runs low anyway and the gas gauge didn't work, so it was a recipe for disaster. Yeah, for that her. is two two negatives. Same. Don't make I feel it right. Like I had right? to rescue my wife so many times. Like, oh, I got to go get the gas. We have twenty gas cans at the house now because every time <laughs> I had to go buy one, it's efficient just to go buy one. So, you're, so what home. you're telling people is, like, if you're 
need a gas like, can. In, in need of a gas can, maybe call you. I'll put it up on eBay. For sale. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook Marketplace <laughs> gas can. I've never run out of gas. Knock on wood. I don't want to jinx myself. Well, you're not 40 yet. I've never run. I'm getting there. I'm yeah, getting there. But Shane and Cam are 40. Yeah. I'm, so I got a couple years. It's coming close. A couple years. I, well, I mean, I turned 36 on Saturday, so I'm getting closer. Yeah. Happy early birthday. My last year yeah. in my mid 30s. Got to enjoy it, you know? <laughs> happy birthday. You know, what, you know what's thrilling is just to run out of gas <laughs> <laughs> and then run across the field yeah. and have to go get a gas can. You I'm never actually going to live so on the alive. edge, man. Never I'm actually going to pass on that. <laughs> Good call. That's going to be a no for me. I don't even like running out of gas in my lawnmower. Like I get very frustrated when I run out of gas in my lawnmower. I'm like, oh, well, what were you thinking? Well, you have a gas tank for that, though, right? Yes. At yeah, the house? I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm not running to the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> With like you're pushing it up the hill. No, I've got like, I think I've got four gas cans just to like keep them all full, so I don't have to go back to the gas station as much to mm-hmm. fill them up for the gas for the uh, mower. But yeah, I don't even like, I don't even run too low on the mower. Speaking of pushing a mower just down the street, I was when I was back home. This was about two weeks ago. There was a torrential downpour in St. Louis. We were on our way to church, and uh, we tried to beat the storm, but we didn't. Mm, okay. So we are, we're driving there, and I see these two guys just walking on the sidewalk. Like, you, you know a big rainstorm's coming, too, when the wind starts to pick up oh, yeah, and everything. You feel it. Yeah, you, the signs are there. But they're just walking on the sidewalk, so I'm kind of like, man, these guys got to get home quick. Didn't think much of it after that. Went to church, got out of church. It was still pouring, still raining hard. Okay. We're driving back on the same road we came on, and sure as all get out, these guys are walking back down the sidewalk, but this time pushing a lawnmower. (laughs) So I don't know what they did. I don't know if they went and bought a lawnmower, say, on Facebook Marketplace. And just decided and this like, was the time to go. We're this thing home today. But mind you, a Catholic mass takes about an hour. Sure. So they were walking when it was first starting and then walking back in it. So it wasn't like they they waited for it to stop somewhere sure. and came back when it was dry. No, they were. it was downpouring, and these guys are pushing back an old lawnmower. Yeah, that's uh, that's a choice. I always wonder. <laughs> it is a choice. <laughs> like, there's a this, – maybe this is just me. In places where pedestrians are not normal, I'm always like, what's going on here? You know, like every once in a while you'll see somebody like pedestrians in West Omaha are not normal at all. Mm -hmm. And so anytime I see somebody walking, I'm like, I like how I acknowledge that with the mm -hmm. what's what's the Ravi opinion. (laughs) It's true. I mean, there's just (laughs) if you've lived like I know you haven't lived here a super long time. But if you're in West Omaha, if, if they're anything like they drive and you see pedestrians, you're like, that's unusual. And so I'll, I'm always like, what, what's the story here? What's happening? Are you having a bad day or is this normal activity for you? And I just I don't know. I, I'm very suspicious of pedestrians. Mm. I'm just like, hey, what's like if I go downtown? I'm totally normal. Right. People are walking around, whatever. I don't know if I can say the same with downtown. Well, you know, it's more normal to have the pedestrian. You can still be suspicious. Of <laughs> but. If I see just, you know, you see these like random people walking down super busy, like medians, or I saw a guy walking down the interstate the other day, but I didn't see a stranded car anywhere. Mm. And I was like, how did this happen? What's what's going on here, bud? 
He just had to walk to work, man. Like, this is a choice that you make. Some people don't have cars that have both electric and gas. I mean, I don't either. <laughs> Not me personally. <laughs> Although I guess it is in my name, technically. <laughs> um, no, but I, I'm just like, how, what led you here today? You know, I, I'm saying it seems like he's having a bad day one way or another. Mm. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and you're like, you know what? Let's take a let's walk on the highway today. Yeah, let's, let's take a leisurely <laughs> stroll down I-80. I don't think that's anybody's plan, right? Uh, and so I'm just, but there was no, there was no car to be found anywhere. I was like, how did you even, how long have you been walking how'd on this? You, how'd you get here? Yeah. How did you get here? And how long have you been <laughs> Who here? dropped you off? <laughs> like, was this a, like your wife got mad and like kicked you out of the car? What happened here? That's all I want to know. So yesterday too, you know, I, after the show, I went out and played golf. So they had the pro-am going on here. I was not fortunate enough get invited to play in the pro maybe next year maybe next year who knows but i was fortunate enough to go over to tiburon and play in a foursome with michael severe so he reached out to me last week i was like okay yeah good chance to network too so i I get there i'm the first one there with severe Mm -hmm. and i go hey severe what cards are we in he's like uh you're in this card and you're actually writing with nick and I'm, I'm like, you expect me to know who Nick is? Nick Bob? <laughs> like, Nick is not an uncommon name, no. Severe. Um, and I look at the front, I go, Nick Hanley. And I go, oh, ironic. <laughs> this will be fun. So I, Nick and I are, we're, we're good. We're good buddies because we, we first started working That's at UNO together. UNO, yeah. Um, so we do UNO hockey together. He's the PA announcer. I'm the MC. So I was like, oh, this is going to be really fun. And then I also found out that Brian Christofferson, who we had on the show yesterday, Mm -hmm. was also playing. He drove down from Lincoln. So we had a really, really fun foursome group. But what made me laugh about the whole situation was Severe, when he reached out to me, he he said, hey, I got invited to play by like the Omaha World Herald because they were a part of the group that put on like the Big Red Lunch Mm -hmm. and uh, or the Big Red Brunch, I believe. One of those things. I think it's a brunch. Some meal. It's a I big, believe it's a brunch. It's a big red meal. <laughs> so uh, he's like, yeah, you know, they're they're a big um, partner with, with this organization. So uh, they asked me to play. But then all of a sudden, like, Sam had a dropout. Sam McEwen had a dropout for um, some work reasons. Stu, I think, threw out his back. Okay. Um, and I don't know if, if – I think Chattel was supposed to play too, and I think he couldn't because of the same work reason Sam couldn't. Okay. So now it was just Michael Severe. And they're like, yeah, you need to find three other people to golf with. <laughs> so he's like, I had to build an Omaha World Herald team. So he reached out to me on Twitter, and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. He saw Nick in Costco one day, <laughs> asked him to do it. And I don't I don't really know how he asked BC, but that's that was our scramble group. And we didn't play like – we didn't play great. We didn't play terrible either. I think we shot four under as a, as a group. We, uh, we put ourselves in terrible position. Sure. Every green, yeah. we would chip on and have like a 12 or 14 foot putt. And that was for par. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, not great. Uh, either we hit it or we, or we got bogey. Yeah. Um, so in most cases, um, we didn't have the birdie train. Yeah. But aside from that, it, it, was, a, it was a really fun outing. I actually, on hole nine one of the whole nines we it, they have three three nine hole courses i believe okay. at, at over at tiburon and one we were talking we were on the tee box severe was doing a zoom call at the time he was working <laughs> and so it was hanley bc and i and we just kind of were like 
shooting the breeze because it was right after we heard the press conference from rule and Rayola. Mm -hmm. So we were talking a little bit about that. And I had, you know how we got that question on Tuesday on what coach you would get drunk with if you could. Yeah. You'd want to have some drinks. So so I asked them the same question and BC was like, ah, you know, who would like kind of be really fun. Or maybe it was Hanley said Dvorak. And that was a name that we didn't even bring up. No. And uh, BC, I think said, said rule or something like the obvious choice and i'm like i would have chosen satterfield because i would get i'd be the first person to know what this offense is going to look like (laughs) and then he was like but bc changed his pick to rayola and so we got on this rayola thing on how like he's a lion and like you know he's he's such a tough guy so if you could like really break him out of his shell i I want to see if you could loosen him up yeah he could be pretty fun because he's not like super talkative so i i get up and i'm like oh you want to see a tough guy so you know we we had one or two and um you know, I'm like, oh, you want to see a tough guy? Like, I'll be a lion right now on this tee box. <laughs> so I just put the ball down. And to clear the little creek, you had to hit it over 278. Okay. And I've only ever hit it further than 278 in a simulator. Okay. Okay. Because I, I think the reader's wrong. So, like, if you just hit it, like, as hard as you can, like, sometimes, you know, the simulator's like, yeah, this one's going straight or this one's going right. It's like one of those hometown radar guns that says you throw 107. Right. So I, uh, I, I, I um channeled my inner Donnie Rayola sure and just whacked this ball okay okay and it went I'm telling you dead straight flew flew the creek and probably landed like 290 rolled to 300 okay and so I'm like wow I'm feeling pretty good although my back not so much but uh, <laughs> you know my my confidence levels are through the, the roof. shot was great my back also shot so we get up to the ball and then i see you know if you ever play in scrambles they have these little tiny stakes that are on the green mm-hmm. and it like is closest to the pin yep. or farthest putt things like that and so i'm like oh they have one here i can't if it was longest drive i bet i probably would have won uh but i pulled out my 60 degree and I had a really nice shot close. I, it w- looked to be close to the pin. It was uphill. So we couldn't really see it as we're driving up to it. It's probably a foot and a half from the hole. I'm like, Holy cow. Like I, I'm going to birdie this on my own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it team. Uh, so we get up there and I, I grab the mini pencil. I write my name down. I'm like, no one's beating the score. Yeah. No one, no one is beating the score I have right now. Yeah. Like it, it, they're not getting closer than a foot and a half. Sure enough. It's over. And I won. Nice. And I won a pretty sweet prize pack. Uh-oh, what did we get? It was a soft cooler, but not like a little golf cart cooler, like one that you would take to travel from, like, to the lake. Okay, like, if you're like going a, to the like lake. Your, yeah, yeah, but, like, big, like, long. And I was, I told Ashley, I'm like, I, we don't have one of these. Like, this is yeah. sweet. I looked further in, and I saw that there were two gift cards in there. Okay. One of the gift cards was for a place called, like, Barrel and Pour or something like barrel that. and vine no not barrel and vine it, it's something in barrel it's like you go there it's here in town okay and you pour your own beer okay but what it said on the card was you pour your own beer and after you're done drinking for the day you just hand them this gift card so i'm like so can i just like just like a free go, day of like, can i do nine to nine right? doing like a 12 hour stint <laughs> <Right>? i don't know <laughs> i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to go check that out and you might see. have to read the uh, fine print on that one just to make yeah, sure i don't know the fine print on the back was like here's how you pour it you go up here <laughs> and you tilt your glass sideways uh and then the other card i got was a 75 dollars club fitting gift card to austin oh nice i'm like for getting closest to the pin this these are That's some pretty awesome. pretty sweet prizes and then there was a, a bottle of whiskey in there, which I don't drink whiskey. I'll probably just give it to my brother. Um, I don't I don't mess with that 
I just can't. I, I don't have hair on my chest. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I ever will. And until I start drinking that, I won't. You know what's super weird is I used to drink whiskey a lot. Um, not a problematic amount, but that was kind of my go-to, uh, my go-to spirit there. And then one day I just woke up and I was like, I don't like whiskey anymore. <laughs> You're like a seven-year-old. Like, I'm not eating cheese. It was. It was so <laughs> weird. And I don't know if it was like a hyperfixation thing where it's like, that's all I drank for so long. And then I was just like, I'm done here. But ever since, this was like three years ago, mm-hmm. I have not, like, I've tried a couple times. Be like, oh, maybe it came back. Because I used to really enjoy it. I just have not been able to drink whiskey. Like, it makes me almost instantly not feel good. And it's not because I'm drunk. Or I can it's do like a, crown. I can't do. So, I can't just do basic whiskey. So I can do like a whiskey sour because the sour mm-hmm. changes the flavor enough. Um, when we had the Omaha Whiskey Fest people here, they had me taste a scotch and scotch was OK because the, the flavor was different enough. But just your your straight up regular whiskey. Like I used to drink that stuff on the rocks, just sipping whiskey and I cannot do that anymore. I can't drink like old fashions because they're too whiskey forward. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's old, super. I, weird. I had my first old fashioned. Excuse me. Over the summer. Yeah. You have to not really, for me. You have to really like whiskey for not for fashion. me. I did it for a yeah. herd at um, or a Hale Varsity Club shoot. Sure. Like um, uh, they were taking some photos, like pizza, drinks, things like that, and they wanted me to have because. Don't get me wrong. Old fashions are very pretty looking. Drink oh, they're on a great photo. looking, and also they feel very classy. Mm-hmm. Like you feel great when you go up to a bar, especially if you're in a kind of a nicer place and maybe you're dressed up a little bit and you're like, I want an old fashioned. Like you feel like a man's man. Yep. And I can't order them. I don't like them. Speaking of old fashioned, we were walking in today and Ravi and I were admiring the Jordan ones that a golfer was wearing. They were incredible. They were beautiful too. Like brand new. Like I don't know if he keeps them clean or if they are just brand new for the tournament, but they were, they they were sexy. And so, we were walking in and then we just started talking about <laughs> how much golfers have come along in the fit game oh, over the years. Yeah. The because, style has because drum- if you like oh. just think back, I don't know, even to like Tiger's first year. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's wearing a polo that's ten times his size. It's it's basically a dress. It's down to his weight. Like you can see how thick. If I stretch the polo out to here, this is how much room Tiger had when he first started golfing. So there's there's a couple things going on there, right? And it was probably made of velvet or corduroy. It was probably like wool. Those things were so heavy. <laughs> they were wearing the. I mean, so part of it's just clothing in general. They've gotten better with the materials and the blends and stuff like that. So it's like athletic wear in general has gotten dramatically better. Like. When I was playing basketball in like 2005, you should have seen how heavy our uniforms were. They were like they they added probably four pounds to your playing weight. Well, I mean, just look at Arnold Palmer in this photo here. So Palmer in a full sweater. He he looks like a prep school kid. He does. He's wearing like a a button up, like a a real button up dress shirt. I mean, you guys can't see this, but it's right. (laughs) (laughs) He's wearing a sweater on top of that dress shirt. And then he's wearing, like, business slacks. Mm-hmm. And the slacks that he's wearing, uh, not to knock Arnold Palmer here, but it looks like business slacks that a woman would wear. Like the checker print all the way down. Listen, I, I like a nice print slacks. I'm not going to hate on him no, for that. I know. The problem this this is definitely something I saw Sally wearing the other day. The problem you're going to have with those is you don't have, like, the stretch materials, right? 
like back in the day. You didn't have like the stretchy pants and shirts and stuff. Yeah, where was Nike when you needed them? Right, man. They were out here making shoes like idiots. What are they doing? <laughs> um, but dang track stars. But we can. I actually have. We have more. I have more thoughts on the uh, golf attire that yeah. we can get. Yeah, to. Robbie Lula's just bashing on Prefontaine over here. Well, listen, <laughs> not a great look. <laughs> Good guy. Tough look. <laughs> Not not the way you want to go, right? Not not the way. Okay. Listen, I know the short, like, Hoochie Daddy shorts are coming back. But he went a little aggressive on it. That's all I'm saying. Steve Prefontaine. Some of the uh, some of the long-distance shorts are, like, they're shorter than boxers. I don't even understand what's happening there. I mean, he was an, he was an icon. He's probably Ashley's hero. I mean, he's... Outside of her dad. Terrific uh, athlete. No uh, no hating there, but... Look, look at those shorts. I know. Those are telling you those are barely covering the behind <laughs> all right let's take a uh, short break robbie save your thoughts on outfits i mean you can continue to bash people because that's what thursday's all about right and uh, we'll set up the show when we come back more cnc then coffee and cream with rogers and benning on hail varsity radio Coffee and cream alongside Robbie Lula, Andrew Rogers. Happy to have you with us. We are live from the Pinnacle Bank Championship over at the club at Indian Creek. It is Thursday, which means it is start day for the tournament. And uh, we couldn't be more thrilled to be joined by Brett Ballack now, who is the director of sales for the Pinnacle Bank Championship. Brett, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. How nervous are you? Can we make you even more nervous? We are here today ready to go and play golf. <laughs> All of Most of the hard work has been done already. So it's been an unbelievable uh, journey and a lot of hard work. And we've got an awesome team that works together. So uh, it's it's go time. Well, you're eight months in to your role. So a first-year guy for this, this championship. What have you learned throughout this process that was, you know, maybe not something you expected or – you know, oh, it was easier than you thought, or I don't, we talked to Gary, I think on Tuesday, and he's like, don't ever say the word easy. <laughs> so maybe that's not the right word, but you know, it's your first year. What are, what are your initial feelings like? Yeah, you know, just a lot of moving parts, um, getting power to certain spots and carts to certain spots and just little details. Um, Alexis Bulos is incredible at her job and Jessica Brabeck, our tournament director, you know, they've got a lot of experience. I've learned a ton. I've been around golf my whole life, but I had no clue what I was doing on this thing. And uh, <laughs> they've guided me through it, and uh, they do a fantastic job. And we work well uh, together as a team, and, and Gary Jabba as well as our, our sales manager. So it's a, a fun atmosphere. Um, we work really hard, but uh, I've relied on their experience a lot throughout the whole process, certainly. We've talked to a lot of the people with the facilities and the grounds and everything like that. Uh, in the sales role, you've got a little bit different of a job here. Do you actually get to take a breath and relax once the tournament starts a little bit? Uh, a little kiss bit, some babies, little bit. shake some hands. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you in about five hours. Okay. Here, so, um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I'm hoping to. Um, like I said, we've we've got everything up and running. Um, all the the uh, first tee shots have been hit, so I'll be out kind of checking on the pavilions. Mm-hmm. Um, the setup here is amazing. Uh, 17 here is absolutely incredible. Par three, um, the herd at herd at Harbor, the herd at Harbor. And I tell you what, there's going to be some excitement here. Hoping to have some hole in ones. Um, 
Yeah, can you imagine us giving away ten grand someday? That is, that mm. is, we're hoping to do that. Um, and I tell you what, this place is going to be packed. I think having seven Nebraska uh, players or Nebraska players with ties to Nebraska in the field, sure, the crowds are going to be crazy, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. So speak to your golf experience here now, because as you said, you've been around the game for a long period of time. You coached at Wesleyan, you coached at Nebraska, and um, you you obviously know there's there's some players in this field here. Uh, you know, since you've been around the game so so much, you can kind of take it from both sides. Like, hey, I you know I know what these guys are thinking about, but now you kind of get the business side of it too. Um, obviously, want to be around golf, but are there any like former players of yours that? Uh, you, you know that are going to be out here today uh as far as watching or playing uh, both i guess <laughs> well obviously we've got scott kacheski former husker and brandon crick both great guys and great players um you know scott's had a great career and having a great year and he'll be on the pga tour next year which is absolutely amazing mm-hmm. um and then brandon crick uh, obviously pulling for him he's been a, a solid corn fairy guy for Gosh, six, seven years now, and we just would love to see him break through and get a win. Especially, you know, he he plays well here, so I'm hoping he just relaxes and, and does his thing. Got to, he's going to have a big following out here as well. Um, but yeah, there's and the young guys too. I mean, Nate Vance is a great player. Obviously, Luke Kluber, ton of talent. Um, yeah, it's going to be really exciting, mm-hmm. and uh, I think the the uh, draw of those guys, the the uh, gallery is going to be amazing as well. Brett, so you were at Nebraska Wesleyan, then you were at the University of Nebraska. What was the transition like going from being a coach to your current role with the Pinnacle Bank Championship? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it helped a lot just having a golf background and I'm a, I'm a people person. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this is such a great event. It was, it's an easy sell for me. Um, I I believe in it. I, you know, I went to the Cox classic every year. It was at, at champions run and and, uh, things are a little bit different out here. The, The guys love the golf course out here. Um, you know, I heard yesterday I was starting on 10 T for the, uh, pro-am and you know every guy would mention how great of a, a venue this place is they look forward to it all year it's they it all said it's a top two or three event on the tour um so it's pretty easy sell mm-hmm. and uh, i just want to get get out there and and you know talk to people and, and really promote the event because i i believe in it yeah. and i've uh, been been experienced and, and involved in it for a long time as a as a fan so we're talking to brett ballack director of sales at the pinnacle bank championship brett i don't want you to just pinpoint like one and, you know, leave others out here. But, you know, from the guys that you coached, from those local guys, if you're just a golf fan, you're coming out to the event and you want to cheer for for one golfer, okay, but you like personality, like the number, like the top personality, whether they're super funny or, you know, they're um, emotional whenever they, they make a big putt or something, What which of the guys that you coach would, you know, check those boxes? Well, I actually haven't coached any of the guys that are playing in, in the field, but, you know, it, that's a hard question um, because you've got such a cool young group of guys coming off PGA Tour U, and then you've got some guys that are in their mid to late 40s that are making the last push, um, mm-hmm. whether they're, you know, they've got their card or trying to get their PGA Tour card this year or they're preparing for the, the Champions Tour. We've got we've got a couple guys out here in their late 40s that are getting ready for the Champions Tour. So, um I don't know. I mean, I think the young guys are super exciting. Um, none of them are scared to win or, or take it deep. Um, it, it's just a really exciting time for golf. These, the talent out here is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't pick um, one winner. I mean, there, there could be 50 guys that have a shot to win out here. Well, and this and, is such a competitive course, too. Really tough. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's one thing all the players say is they, they love going to a place where 
you know, if you shoot 13 to 15 under, you're going to be right in the mix as opposed to pretty much 26, 20, 28 yeah. and winning the rest of the events on the, on the corn ferry too. So that they are really happy to be here. And, uh, the golf course is absolutely amazing. Brett, I, I'm curious with, um, you having only been associated professionally with this event for, this is your first tournament, but having experienced it as a fan all the way back dating to the Cox classic days, what have you seen just kind of change about this event and kind of this stop in Omaha as part of the tour? You know, I, I think a lot of the younger guys that are coming out here, like I said, they're, they're ready to win and move on. I mean, I don't think you see as many of the young guys hanging around as long on this Mm -hmm. tour. Um, the, the college game has changed that, you know, whether it's, um, nutrition and, and they're just so into it. And, uh, uh, the discipline these young guys have is amazing. Um, like I said, they're, they're focused on winning and winning early. Um, not that it wasn't like that before. I just, I feel like the, the younger generation is more prepared, um, because a lot of different things, strength training, nutrition, coaching, um, equipment, all sure. those things. Yeah. So there's a variety of factors. Brett, tell us what's still available now from from the sales point of view. What what can people take advantage of outside of the Herdat Sports Pavilion? Which, um, and if you don't mind, like giving numbers, like how how much it's going to cost people to either be in this pavilion or on eighteen, or you know maybe another stop on the course. Yeah, so we've got we definitely have some space available on um, the Herdat Harbor on seventeen. Um, those tickets per day are right at $200. So, so that gets you your entrance into the tournament. And then that's all you can uh, drink all day. Yeah. And, you uh, tell, tell people what they want to hear. And, and then we have a lunch and snacks and a lot of food throughout the day as well. So it's a great value and it's a super exciting hole. Like I said, a par three hole chance to win 10,000. And you're in the shade, in the shade. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing spot. And, uh, but yeah, we've got, we've got probably, I'd say 50 to 70 spots available there. And then we do have some on 18 as well um, in NMC level two. And those go for about $250 a day. Um, and again, admission into the tournament, um, food and drink. And that is air conditioned. It's up high, incredible view of the 18th green. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can see all the way down the fairway. It's, it's awesome up there as well. Um, and it's obviously closer to the clubhouse. You don't have to walk out all the way out to 17. So, no. And but you'd we, recommend them coming to 17. Her, her dad is definitely where you want to be, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so. Brett, so what is your what has been your favorite part about being on the job so far? Uh, obviously, you're, you're still pretty new to it. But, um, but, you know, morning of the day one of your first tournament, what's been your favorite part about being associated with this event? Um, Easy answer. The the uh, greeting the proam groups coming in mm-hmm. yesterday. We were there to kind of uh, make sure they had a good time. How engaged to see how engaged their pros were. It was it was remarkable. Um, the groups had a fantastic time, and that speaks to the the, the guys on on this tour are very um, they're very involved and very engaged in in providing a great experience for their amateur partners. Um, you know they all raved about the golf course and how cool their their pros were, and I think. I think they all had a fantastic experience during the Pro-Am, and that was really cool to hear the feedback. We, we really worked hard and put a lot of time into, into the Pro-Ams and making it a, an awesome experience for these guys. Well, Brett, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. Enjoy the day. Hopefully it is stress-free for you, uh, but, uh, you know, really just take in the golf from a different perspective. It, it, it should be fun for you. It's going to be great, and we love to have a lot of people come out. Like I said, there's space available on 17. 
Um, and so come on out and, and root the Nebraska guys on and, and see some great young young players that are going to be on the PJ Tour real soon. And maybe your next major champion will be coming from here, like Scotty Scheffler, um, you know, played here and four years ago. So there's going to be some some great golf. Thanks, Brad. That'll do it for uh, this interview with Brett Ballack. We'll take a short break. We'll be back with more coffee and cream. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. All right, welcome back, Coffee and Cream, alongside Robbie Lula, Andrew Rogers, 590 ESPN Radio. We're live on Twitter, live on YouTube, the Herd at Sports YouTube page, out at the Herd at Sports Pavilion at the Pinnacle Bank Championship over at the club at Indian Creek. We just got done talking to Brett Ballack. He let you know that there are tickets still available for the pavilion, so make sure you snag those. Come over. It's all-inclusive. It's the perfect place to watch. I remember being here last year. We took a, a day uh, heard at sports did at least to enjoy the event. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were fortunate enough to be a part of whole 17's pavilion. And I got to tell you, it was, it was something, it was something to be desired. Yeah. So um, take well, advantage of that bigger and better this year. And it is, it's twice the size of what it was last year. And I think the tent area over there is even cooler than it was. Yeah. Because the way it was formed, it was almost long, and it was like hot dog style instead of hamburger. Mm, sure. And so yeah. now that it, the way it looks now, you you have those fake windows that you can unzip, and it's got a little bar, so it's like you're you're inside, but you're outside. That I that sort of thing. The Patron Zone has a little AC in there, and it too, does. So. And you, if you have access to the Patron Zone, if you have access to the Herd at Sports Pavilion, so you double dip in a way. Um, and who wouldn't want a little Patron? Right? I mean, like, hey, you know, mix it in. Might have to. Take a little walk over there uh, after we're done here. Yeah, today. We'll, we'll <laughs> siesta after we fiesta, right? So, uh, you know, just come out. Come see us. We'd love to see you. Um, but you know what? We're doing a show, and we appreciate you listening as well. So, Robbie, did you want to still touch on the golfers? Well, so I, you know, I had this theory that occurred to me while we well, right after we went to break, and – so part of it's all obviously just like the clothing technology, right? Like they didn't have like stretch fit and like mm-hmm. moisture wicking stuff 20 years ago, really. So the technology's come a long way. So that's part of it. But I think the other thing is, and this was a tiger thing that really started it, was just the fitness level of the guys that are playing professional golf now. And Brett talked about that a little bit uh, as well in some of the changes he's seen from back when it was the Cox Classic to now with the Pinnacle Bank Championship, where it's... You don't see a lot of dad bods out there. No, the fit... Well, and so you don't see a lot of dad fits out here anymore either. The fitness level of the guys on tour... Here's what I found. (laughs) Oh, Siri, what did you find on fitness levels of golf dads? I don't want to know. Um, (laughs) I feel like I just stumbled into somebody's search history here. Not interested. Um, No, I just... the, the, The fitness and athleticism of these guys is just at such a higher level than it was 15, 20, 25 years ago. And that's kind of one of the lasting effects that Tiger had on the tour um, and professional golf in general was you had a lot of guys that worked on their golf game incessantly, right? Mm -hmm. Just, uh, just Mm -hmm. obsessively worked on their golf game. Didn't work on their fitness a ton. (laughs) Tiger showed that working on your fitness was working on your golf game. Right. And that wasn't really something that people thought about 
you know, you kind of see it with baseball players too. Like the, the bodies of baseball players have changed over the years as well. And so I think that's part of the reason too. Like when you're, you know, when you're rocking the dad bod, your, your clothing options are maybe a little bit more limited when you're all like jacked up and, and, and slim and, and sleek and ready to go. You can, you can maybe wear a little bit more form fitting clothes, which is what we <laughs> did, see on tour more now. Did you hey. like the, uh, the paint Stewart look? Well, see, like if you're paint Stewart, at least you're like doing a thing. You know, like you ever you have your own niche. Yeah, you're kind of like you understand like, okay, this isn't a popular style. You're just like, hey, I'm rocking the old school, like back to the old days of golf. Um, He brought style in, though. I mean, he was really kind of the first to, you know, kind of embrace style in golf. Hey, what? Who was the broadcaster? Craig Sager? Didn't yes. he do that with the suits too? He did. So like, yeah, everybody has like their own. Yeah, he's got their, their own, own kind of. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it it comes down to his personality too. Yeah, for like sure. Sager's personality was like you know very bubbly, like very uh, approachable. Same yeah. kind of thing with Stewart. It was kind of like, I don't really care what people think about me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, okay. So speaking of speaking of outfits, and speaking of exclusive outfits, okay. Four numbers were handed out to the Nebraska football oh, I team. I see what you did there yesterday, and if you missed, if you missed them, you probably could guess who got them. Yeah, at least the first four. So you have Billy Camp, who chose the number one. Yep. Isaac Gifford chose number two. Mm-hmm. He's been talked about a lot by that defensive coaching staff and by Rule as well. Luke Reimer will be wearing four. Mm-hmm. I've liked Luke this offseason. I thought that he, I mean, at least watching him in the spring, um, that he he showed a lot of passion, showed a lot of fire, spirit for his group, his defensive uh, his defensive position group. And he's and a really good football player. He's a really good football yeah. player, but I don't know if he may be the shock on this list in some minds because – People haven't heard a lot about Luke Reimer right now in the fall. He's flown under the radar a little bit. And even in the summer. Yeah. So because of that, I'm actually not shocked one bit. I, I thought from the very beginning that Luke Reimer was going to be a leader and possibly a captain on this well, defense. Well, we saw him in Indianapolis, which, right. was a, which obviously was an indication. And you know what? I think he was also a shock to the ones in Indy. Like even to DB, I remember chatting with him and he's like, I was the surprise to me is Luke Reimer. And like that didn't actually surprise me at all because of how I watched him practice in the spring. Yeah. Um, now out of those three, you could a process of elimination. You have Jeff Sims and Ethan Piper there too. Like if you had to say who was the shock to be here, like you you could either lean Reimer or you could lean Piper. See, my thought was Piper because he wasn't really he's he's still not necessarily a for sure starter. Like Luke mm-hmm. Reimer's gonna play. And going to play a lot. I expect him to be a starter on that defense. You would expect, though, Ethan Piper to start just by the way the team has used him since media days. Like, if you go to media day, you're probably a starter. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that it's really going to depend on the health of guys like Prohaska and Newilly. Mm -hmm. If those guys are healthy, he might be the sixth guy. I think he's going to play. But, you know, we talked about yesterday, I think Matt Rule was talking about the seven, he wants seven offensive linemen. He's definitely in that seven. I don't know if he's in the starting five, if everybody's healthy, but to me, it goes to how good he's been in all the other stuff, because this isn't just mm-hmm. about playing, right? This is about his ability to embody everything that this coaching staff wants from their uh, from their players and how they want them to become leaders 
Um, you know, Matt Rule, again, talked about this a couple days ago. He, when he's got a, a Gifford in a position group, when he's got um, a Jeff Sims or a Billy Kemp in a position group, his role in terms of having to hands-on lead them becomes less dramatic because he's trusting player-led accountability and player leadership, which is the most effective kind if you can get it going. So I think it speaks to Ethan Piper's role in that as much as it does anything else. But, you know, I agree with you. I don't think Luke Reimer was a shock either for media day or for, um, or for the, the single digit numbers, but out of that group of guys, he probably was the most surprising. I mean, Billy Kemp's the only receiver we have any sort of confidence in. Right. <laughs> I mean, at this point, cause Washington's been banged right. up a little bit. Right. Um, Jeff Sims, your unquestioned starting quarterback, number one, like, Jeff Sims seems like their poster boy on offense for what they He'll want. be wearing number seven, Cristiano Ronaldo, Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> John Elway, Christian Ponder. No, oh, oh, no, 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 we can't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I believe Case Keenum was the seven at one point yeah, with the was, was, Vikings. Did, Car- did Carmelo ever wear seven? Yeah, he was a seven, I believe. I think he was seven in New York. Okay. I think. I want to say he was seven in New York. Uh, so, you know, got why some, I know that don't ask me. We've got some famous sevens in the, uh, in the world of sports here, but Jeff Sims, not surprising at all. The unquestioned starter and leader at quarterback, um, Isaac Gifford, especially the way he's been talked about this summer and this fall. Um, that's a no brainer to me. They seem like they love Isaac Gifford. Um, Luke Reimers. though, that's a great one to have and, and maybe shouldn't be shocking, but like we said, flown under the radar a little bit a lot of other guys have gotten the headlines and it hasn't been you know he's kind of been doing his work in silence a little bit but it's good to see that because i believe these are player voted on numbers right yes so they vote for the so rule said this week that there will be multiple rounds of voting um at camp to determine who will wear the single digits and i actually find that um I find that pretty common uh, over interesting because some would probably say like, oh, that's interesting that he's going to have the players like vote on their own team. It's like, no, it's kind of like voting captains when you're in grade school. Right. Well, like in high school, like, you know, a lot of teams give out little pieces of paper and they're like, all right, write not write down out of all the players, you know, who you want to be your captain. Now it's a little more limited when you're choosing there because you're probably choosing a senior or a junior. um, So you're checking off a box, uh, whatever the coach gives you. And some teams, the coaches choose captain, some teams, the players choose captain. So I thought it was interesting just in the sense that I hadn't heard it before Mm -hmm. that that's how it was going to be. Right. And remember, this isn't a new tradition either for coach rule. Like he did this at temple um, when he was the offensive coordinator and um, Al Al golden Golden was the head coach. So, this, this isn't new for him, but it is new for Nebraska. The, the Nebraska community. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not going to say either that, oh, like this, this shouldn't be exciting because, you know, it is kind of exciting to see who is separating themselves yeah. from the rest, who the players really feel like are the leaders of this team, who are the top 10 percent that we've been trying to get to this whole time, the, the ones that motivate in a new group like this. So who's next? I don't know, but I think I have a couple of guesses. Do you have anybody on the brain that would be a Ooh. next up for you? Um, I am hope. <laughs> so we've got a linebacker. We've got a defensive back. I would, if, if you're calling Gifford with the Rover spot, a defensive back, which I am. Um, 
I would love to see an one of the guy a guy from one of the two like lines. Uh-huh. Whether it's Ethan Piper would make sense, kind of because of what we talked about with the uh, with the media, with media days. Day. Um, I would love it if somebody on the defensive line stepped up because that's an area where, again, there's pieces that I like, but we don't really have any right. idea of who's going to step up there. If somebody was showing that on the defensive line, I would love that. So, Ty Robinson for me on the defense, Brian Buschini on special teams. We'll take a short break. We'll be back with Kevin Price to talk more golf here at the Pinnacle Bank Championship. back live from the pinnacle bank championship over at the club at indian creek welcome back to the show robbie lula andrew rogers here on coffee and cream this week we appreciate you joining us and we appreciate our next guest taking some time and joining us as well his name is kevin price and he's the associate editor at pga tour.com at pga tour kevin on twitter kevin good morning it's great to see you man Good morning, guys. Great to see you as well. Thanks so much for having me on. Kevin, I'm be there this year. I know. I, I was. I was just about to say. I, I wanted to see your smiling face here. I mean, <laughs> you made the tournament enjoyable, at least for us media guys last year. Wow. I, especially for her, at you definitely helped us get from point A to point B on most days. Uh, there's the Corn Ferry Tour. I call it the greatest league in sports, just with the guys chasing their dreams, trying to get to the PGA Tour and. This year, it's a reimagined format with the top 30 on the season-long standing, so the cards will be awarded a little later in the year, so my schedule sadly didn't line up to come. But I obviously love Omaha. My mom was born in Omaha. I'm from Buffalo, so haven't spent too much time there, but always is great to get back, and I'll be, I'll be back there soon for sure. <laughs> You hear the sights and sounds of the course behind us. We got the blowers over at 17 going for these guys as they've already teed off the field is full of great stories. I mean, you have David Skins, who's won twice here. The young, up-and-coming Pearson Cootie and Parker Cootie, the twin brothers. You have Sam Saunders, who's the grandson of Arnold Palmer in this field. Who are a few players on on, on your mind that you're watching out for this tournament? No, so it's so funny. I mean, it's kind of early in the season. It was really the year of the vet on the Corn Ferry Tour in the sense the guys like David Skins who has won before coming up in Scott Kacheski, Omaha, um, native who won emotionally at the Lecom Suncoast Classic, which was awesome. Great birdie in a playoff. But as it's kind of progressed this summer, we have this PGA Tour university program, and a lot of the guys right out of college have um, been able to come out and make a quick impact. Adrian Dumont de Chassart, who's on the course now, I see he's even through three. He's someone there's a lot of buzz not just in the Corn Ferry Tour circles, but in the golf world as someone who could really take that next step pretty quickly and be a superstar within a few years. Obviously, you never know. There's a lot that could happen in golf, but he won his first start at the BMW Charity Pro-Am, so I'd look for him to have a good day as well. It's funny, I'm seeing checking the leaderboard now. You mentioned Pearson Cootie having won last week in, or having won two weeks ago at the Price Carter Charity Championship in Springfield, Missouri. He has two wins this season now. So if you win three in a season, you get that automatic promotion to the PGA Tour. So obviously a long way to go. But if he stays up there, he'd be someone to 
watch. And then another couple guys on the veteran side, you have Spencer Levine, who's kind of a popular cult figure in the game, just always very exuberant with his personality and a great guy. He's fun to watch out there. He's right around that top 30 bubble in the top 30 on the season long standings with this being the sixth to last event will get their tour card in mid-October. So those guys right around that top 30 line, there's a lot of kind of stakes for them as they're trying to jockey into position. And then for the guys higher up, it's like a Pearson Cootie just going for that three-win promotion who with him and Ben Coles and Rico Hoey and Ben Silverman haven't already locked up their tour cards. But yeah, so many cards still at stake, plenty going on, plenty of storylines. You know, I could go on and on. <laughs> Kevin, you mentioned Adrian as kind of a maybe up-and-coming star. Who are some of the other young guys on either at this stop or on the tour in general that you could maybe see winning at a high level on the PGA Tour sometime in the next few years? Totally. So there's this guy, Alejandro Tosti, who's out of the University of Florida. He took a couple years as a pro to kind of get his feet under him. But once he has, he's shown a lot of firepower. A lot of low rounds, definitely a fiery guy, plays with his heart on his sleeve, and he's eighth on the points list, so he's really on the verge of getting that card. You have a guy, Jackson Suber, out of Ole Miss. He's only in his first full year as a pro. He began the year with conditional status, and he had a runner-up in the land of Lincoln a couple weeks ago, so he's 18th on the points list, and to put himself into that position, just kind of that stage in his career, there's a lot to like about that. They, and it's funny, I'd be remiss, you know, that you always kind of, with Pearson Cootie, his twin brother Parker is also, and Pearson was number one on the PGA Tour U college ranking last year, but Parker was right there at number six. You know, Pearson has had some success w- winning the three times already on the Corn Ferry Tour over the last two years, but Parker, he's right up there in the top 30 on the points list, and he has plenty of game as well, and it's kind of fascinating. Their grandpa Charles won the Masters in 1971, and he was a PGA Tour pro for a few decades. So they have plenty of resources when it comes to picking brains, what's it like to play at the highest level. So you could really see both Cootie twins doing well. And it's also nice to see Kevin Doherty, who a couple years ago was a central bubble character in Omaha when it was the last event of the regular season, playing well just to keep his card. He's taken a couple steps forward this year. He's Oklahoma State alum who's been on the Corn Ferry Tour a few years and it feels like he's kind of ready to break out and with his kind of getting a little better every year as his career has gone on kind of trend could see that progressing to the PGA tour as well. Kevin, do me a favor and break down the PGA tour. You, for those that may not know what it is. Mm-hmm. So basically the, it's a program that was introduced. This was the third year of it. So it's a pretty new program where the top college players based on a points formula and ranking get direct access to PGA Tour sanctioned tours. So the number one on that ranking gets directly to the PGA Tour for that season and next. So this year, that was Ludwig Aberg. That was new this year for the first couple of years. That was just to the Corn Ferry Tour. But now number one moving forward gets a PGA Tour card right off the bat. Numbers two through ten get some sort of Corn Ferry Tour membership, whereas the top five eligible players that week who decide to play will get to play on the Corn Ferry Tour. So basically two through six guaranteed, and then the rest of them will probably get some starts as well. And then that extends to number 15, where you also get status on the PGA Tour Americas Tours, which are now on PGA Tour Canada and PGA Tour Latin America. Those will blend into one for next year. But So basically you're looking at top 15 on that ranking, and you have to be 
a a graduating senior to be able to get that status. So 15 college players each year will get that status. And what it does, it allows you to avoid having to get ready to go to Q school, which can be a grind and uncertain, even for the best players. You know, Jordan Spieth missed at second stage of Q school. Cameron Young missed at Q school. Will Zalatoris missed at Q school. Like Q school is a lottery in a lot of ways. Got to have your best for a couple different weeks and a couple different months. So being able to supersede that is a huge benefit for these kids. Evan, do you think the uh, this PGAU and and everything like that will make it more appealing? I know we're early on in the process here. Do you think it'll make it more appealing for high-level golfers to go the college route and try and get their way through either the Corn Ferry or the PGA Tour that way? And we'll see just a higher level of college golf because of that? Totally. It shows that like you have that avenue, whereas there's nothing before PGA Tour U – there's nothing really keeping you in college when it comes to that status where if you leave after one or two years, like Justin Thomas leaving Alabama after two years or Davis Riley left a semester early, guy who came through the Corn Ferry Tour, played in Omaha a couple times. But before this program, there's no real tether status-wise. Obviously, getting your degree and everything, all very important. But um, to just go a semester early, go a year early, kind of go – into the wilderness. I know Will, Will Zalatoris has talked as well. He left college a semester early, whereas in just hit the road on the Monday qualifying circuit and, you know, finished his degree kind of online. He's still finishing his degree, I believe, as he's rehabbing from a back surgery. But to be able to know that you finish your four years, get your degree, have that status, I think over time that strengthens the college program as a whole, where players know that they're having that status. And it's crazy to see with Adrian Dumont de winning Ricky Castillo, also a PGA tour U guy from this year. He won in Wichita the very next week, taking down Adrian Dumont to in a playoff. And you're seeing some of these guys. Um, I believe Ryan Burnett also has had a nice start to the year. He's playing in Omaha this week. He was a PGA tour U guy. I mean, these guys are totally proving that they Ludwig Aberg on the PGA tour has had four or five top 25s, I believe from that category. So the college game with a high level of talent, it totally fuels them and sharpens them. And it's such great preparation for the highest level. And they're coming out and proving it. Kevin, we're talking to Kevin price, associate editor at PGA tour.com. Kevin last year and a number of years prior, this was the final stop of the corn Ferry tour. Guys who finished in the top 30 would earn their PGA cards. Still a few events to go, though, this time around to see where those top 30 guys stand. So with that being said, who are some of your favorites on the outside looking in on that list? And who do you think could put together a late run, some late magic, and get themselves in contention? Oh, for sure. No, I love the question. So you're looking at Chris Goddard up. It's funny how I go to the leaderboard, and this is such, you know, the scores through three or four holes truly does not matter. It's like, you know, calling a hockey game when someone scores two minutes in, like there's plenty right. to go, but Chris got her up. I was like, Oh, he bogeyed one. But I mean, yeah, there's plenty of time left. He's 37th on the list into the um week. And he's a guy, he won pretty much all the major college awards. He was a four year player at Rutgers who then went to Oklahoma for his fifth year and kept getting better and better. And this is his first full year. He hasn't quite, taken the corn fairy tour by storm a lot of the projections or you know pundits would have guessed that he would have rolled 
right through. But pro golf is, you know, there's a lot of different ways that the transition can be tricky or just a little bit, not even slower, just the the learning curve. And he's 37th on the points list, but you could look for him to, he could pop off a win at any time as he proved in his college career. And I mean, 37th, it's not like it's a bad year. So I'd look for him to keep breaking up over those last few weeks. This guy, Frankie Sappin, he grew up in Minnesota. He um, made it all the way through pre-qualifying last year with his mom on the bag, which was a fun fact to get his status at Q school. He also sectional qualified into the U S open on that 36 hole longest day in golf two months ago through that longest day in golf and him being a rookie, he's at 38th. He's kind of right knocking on that door where a couple big weeks puts you right in Chris Pete fish, who kind of last week broke on the scene with a runner up in Utah, where he posted a number 23 under only for Roger Sloan to finish birdie birdie to beat him. But Pete fish is 47th on the standings and he's kind of tracking at the right time toward getting that card. And also, one final name, Wilson Fur, out of Alabama. Great personality, just a fun guy out there and someone who I think once he gets onto that stage of the PGA Tour, have a lot of fans. Reminds me a lot of the guy Grayson Sig in Demeter who came through the Corn Ferry Tour and played Omaha a couple times. But Fur had some severe struggles to start the year but rattled off a couple straight top tens to move from the conditional category into a spot where he was able to play the rest of the year and He's been on a nice cut-making pattern, and he's 50th on the list right now. Mm. I could see him making a way up. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Obviously, it's such a crapshoot, but it's fun knowing <laughs> that, uh, that, a, that a few of these guys will make that run, and there will be a lot of movement as the last few events, with the final four events also providing elevated points, so there will be even more volatility those weeks, starting in Boise. Kevin, I want to bring it back here to Omaha and the Pinnacle Bank Championship a little bit more specifically. Do you see the field this week as a little bit of a crapshoot as well? I mean, give me kind of a ballpark. How many different guys do you think have a shot at at being the winner on Sunday? Yeah, so it's kind of – that's a good question. So it's probably a two-part answer in the sense of like those five to seven guys who have been – you know, playing well all year that are right up there, the the Pearson Cooties, the Ben Coles, the Ben Silverman, David Skins, like Dumont, like those guys who are probably who you would see as the favorites who have been pretty much contending week in and week out, who you'd expect to be there right there. And then as much of a cliche answer as it is, just to be able to get a spot on the Corn Ferry Tour, really anyone who has played the whole season and has earned status to get out here really is capable of winning. They've proved it from kind of their body of work to get to this point. And you see it year in and year out. A crazy example is last year, Andrew Kozan um, had missed 11 cuts in a row. Mm. Then he goes and wins in Utah, I believe, the week before Omaha. That's right. Totally changed his whole career. So you see that stuff all the time. I mean, and when you think that like stuff like that can happen, it's hard to count anyone out because you can't only – use form going into the week to predicate it. Cause it's such a fickle thing. You know, someone might just really like the course that week, or they might be on the range and get a swing tip either from the co- their coach or a friend or a fellow player on tour or something. They just kind of tweak in their swing and that just works for a week. And a lot of what pro golfers say, which is funny, like, you know, you get a good swing tip and you might get three or four rounds with it. And then you have to move on to another swing key, but that three or four rounds, 
when it's a week like this, it can work and you can get that win. So the, yeah, the short answer is five or six with those best chances, but then you can get a wild card from anywhere in the field, which is part of what makes it so fascinating. Kevin price, you know, we're, we're looking at the local kids here too. And I, I'm not too sure how familiar you are with, with the guys that did get sponsor exemptions to play in this event, but uh you know, maybe just in general, if you don't know a name or two, you know, what are the actual odds that one that gets a sponsor exemption for their home state, home course, will actually win in front of their home crowd? <laughs> it's it's such a storybook thing, and it definitely can happen. I'm, I'm thinking of, I mean, winning. I, I love the local, f- favorite local hero angle. I know a couple years ago, Gachewski was, contending and i know right. he, i don't think he was a sponsor invite i think he was playing on status but when you get those it's all the feels i know sometimes it's more than others i mean and even a home region so i feel like anyone really from nebraska would relish winning this tournament because it's noah hoffman i think who got a sponsor invite this week and i believe he's from mccook which mm-hmm. is also the same hometown as brandon crick which is cool i know small town so to see a couple guys <laughs> but a, a, guy, a guy like noah hoffman it's interesting he has conditional status this year, so he made it to final stage, and he's had some success on the mini tour level. So a guy like that, even without the Corn Ferry Tour previous success, you you never know when someone could pop off and win. He was good enough to Monday qualify into the 3M Open on the PGA Tour a couple weeks ago. He struggled there, missed the cut, but to have that game and experience, that could serve him well. Um, Luke Kluver, I know, I believe he made the cut a couple years ago here. Or he's definitely played here a couple years. And I mean, as crazy as it would be for someone like that who's not really playing at a full time level to go and win, it can happen. And obviously, those are the stories that are so fun to follow. I see um, Carson Shockey as well. I know he played mm-hmm. here a couple years ago as well. I remember he played with his brother. We did a package on that, which was fun. They were great to work with. But I mean, to get the sponsor invite, you've clearly done something with your game and your resume to impress. And the beauty of golf is it's a four-day thing, whereas even if these guys, like, they don't quite have the game to play a whole season and necessarily finish top 30 and get their tour card, maybe they do, but maybe they don't. At this point, they could still rattle off that four days where they're better than anyone and win, and that's the beauty of golf. Kevin, you mentioned kind of some of the stories, obviously the sponsor exemptions with the hometown home state kids, but is there a, do you have a favorite story on the corn Ferry tour this year? A lot of what we've heard is, you know, just how personable these players can be while they're on this tour and things like that. But do you have a, do you have a personal favorite story of, of a player this year? No, that's a, that's a great question. I think a story I'll highlight is Tom Whitney. He's a guy in, I remember it was actually a couple of years ago I did a piece on him in Omaha. It was a tough time. He was just coming back. His brother had he had actually just lost his brother, Bob, his close friend and brother to suicide. And Tom is kind of, it's a like story of perseverance. He's a longtime pro. He spent five years in the Air Force. He was actually a nuclear missile operator. So he was a serious <laughs> Air Force, like in the bunker, doing it all. You know, he's a just a family guy. He, him and his wife have a bunch of kids. Um, he dabbles in property management at home to help pay the bills to make sure they have steady income while he's out on the road chasing their dreams. He's been close before 
a couple years ago. I remember in Columbus during one of the finals events, he missed a three-footer on the last hole Friday to miss the cut, and that kept him from getting his tour card, essentially. So he's been on that line. He's been around a while, and he's at 19th on the points list now, and kind of, and he'd probably, he's 34. He'd kind of tell you the same thing at that point in your career, kind of, you got to take the chance when it comes. It's not getting any easier to get this card. The kids are coming out, hitting it longer. The fields are getting deeper. The whole tiger boom and its resultant effects are in full swing and golf, you know, fortunately for me and my career seems to be getting more and more popular, harder and harder to get tea time. So it's going to continue to get tougher to get a tour card. So anyway, a guy like Tom Whitney, when you're in your mid thirties, kind of looking for that first chance to get your card, you've seen it along the ways with the likes on this tour of Chris Baker, Scott Harrington, Vince Cavello. You get guys who you kind of have that chance and you, you kind of root for them to get it when they have their chance. And he's that guy that I would point to as my favorite story that I'm following this year, trying to get his card. If you could be here, Kevin, and I wish you could, because we would chill, we would hang out, we would have a good time. What would you want to know, though? Uh, what is one thing you'd ask a golfer post-round on day one at the Pinnacle Bank Championship? That is a good question. If I was there, with with the six events left in the positioning to the finals, I'd be talking to a lot of the guys kind of around. I'll throw one more bubble, the 156 bubble, which is to get into the finals, so some of those guys a little down the leaderboard I'd be asking about their preparation and their mentality and what they've been working on early week and what their vibes are and their plans of trying to make their way through the next couple of weeks to get in the finals. I'd be talking to Pearson Cootie, who's four under through five, just his decision, you know, to come here and play this week after clinching Torbound last week and trying to get that third win and you know, what's been working so well this summer and kind of diving into his kind of, I guess, wild, productive, but, but still a little bit inconsistent where he's missed a lot of cuts, but won a couple times and kind of how it triggers that he is really able to kick it into gear and not be afraid to win where that comes from. If it's a general player, I'd, I always like asking on day one about the course and how it compares to years past and any holes that are playing different or how the wind plays different than years past and what they're thinking about how the winning score would be. And yeah. And then from there, I just kind of start spewing and see what other follow-ups come to mind. <laughs> it's always a treasure trove of content. That's the beauty. You can't talk with every player. So you got to figure out players for what I would always do. Or what I always do is either who have are in a unique spot status wise, points wise, or have had a, obviously very good round or have had a unique round with, you know, a couple doubles and a bunch of birdies or a birdie run or something like that. That's kind of my scratch pad. And then from there, go out on the course, talk to people, see what you see. But yeah, it's a treasure trove. Every, every interview is different. That's the beauty of the beauty of covering golf. Kevin, you're the man, dude. We appreciate your time this morning. Real fast though. You got about like 20 seconds. What score wins this week? I will go 16 under as my initial projection without uh, having any idea being there just through the early scores and trends. We'll go with 16 under 16 under Kevin price, man. You're the best. We appreciate your time. We'll talk again soon. Thank you guys for having me. Enjoyed it. Thanks man. That's Kevin price associate editor at PGA tour.com. When we come back, you know, there is something I would like to get into 
back on conference realignment talk. So we'll kind of like set the stage there, um, get more into those athlete diaries that we kind of talked about. There are a few points that unless you were an athlete, you probably didn't think about at all. Absolutely. At, at, at any point. So uh, we'll do that. We're at the Pinnacle Bank Championship. Uh, it's Coffee and Cream Live. Come see us. I mean, even if you can't get into the Hurt at Harbor because you don't have a ticket, you know, if you, uh, you know, give us the password, we'll say the password today is um, watermelon sugar. And then you have to do the high that, um, <laughs> you know, our, our good friend from One hit, Direction does. You have to hit the note, though. Um, and if you do that, we'll, we'll bring you in and we'll, we'll show you a good time. Uh, we'll take a short break. More Coffee and Cream after the break. Live from Indian Creek, the club at Indian Creek. It is the Pinnacle Bank Championship, the best, the greatest golf event here in town in the state of Nebraska. I will hang my heart right there because I also don't know if there's other golf events <laughs> in the state of Nebraska. Not but there professional. Can't, there can't be one bigger than this, and that's why that's why I can make that claim. Welcome back. We're being joined by Mark Wisdom. Now, Now I know I teased conference realignment. We'll get into some of those athlete diaries um, on, the, on the back end of the show. But it's like, you know, when you are in the middle of the fairway, you're about 150 out, a couple of sand traps, you know, up front, and you just miss hit it, and there goes the ball. Now it's in the sand trap. You know what? You adjust. Right. You take out a different club and now you're back on the green. And that's what we're doing now with Mark Wisdom. Mark, good morning. Executive Vice President over at Pinnacle Bank. How you doing? Morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. Doing great. It's a beautiful day out here at Indian Creek. Yeah, I can't beat it. Are you going to be hanging out at 18? Is that kind of your home this week? 18 is our home. That's where we have our chalet. But, you know, I like to uh, walk the course. And uh, my special spot out there is right behind 15 Green, actually. Really? Okay. Why? What makes that the, the special place for you? You know, 15 Green, it's a par five. But uh, a lot of guys can reach it in two. So it's fun to see them come in from there. And then in between holes, you can walk over to hole uh, 13, it's par three, and see them hit uh, into there as well. So you can kind of see a lot of shots uh, right in that area. And it's a pretty easy walk from the clubhouse. So, Mark, you mentioned you've been with Pinnacle Bank for five years. You've been involved with this event for five years as well. It sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong here, you're a big golf guy in general. How often do you kind of get out and play? And and I guess outside of Indian Creek, obviously, where's your favorite course in town? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, So I grew up out in western Nebraska. My dad was actually a high school golf coach out there in Lexington. And, uh, and then you're one of your earlier guests today. Brett Ballack was my college golf coach. Okay. Uh, so at Wesleyan. He did inform us of that. Of yeah. that. Yeah. At, at Wesleyan. So we've all spent a part of my life for a long time. And, uh, now I have two girls, high school girls that are both playing, uh, golf. So it's fun there, but, uh, we, uh, our favorite course in town is happy hollow. Okay. okay. Now. Okay. Now here's the question I was saving Robbie. Great, great segue for me. It's like we planned it almost. Uh, almost. We <laughs> winked. Uh, so Mark, you, you played for, you played for Brett. I would like you to share at least one positive memory of your time with him as the coach and one where you're like, man, I really wish you wouldn't have yelled at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brett was a fantastic coach. You know, I think when uh, when I was on the team, I don't think Brett was even 30 yet. So it was a lot of fun. We had some uh, great 
great road trips with Brett. He was very much a player's uh, person, as you can tell by his personality. Uh, you know, the one thing that uh, we always gave Brett a hard time for was he wasn't maybe, maybe the most uh, organized person. <laughs> uh, he was like, yeah, just go play. You can go do it, you know, and <laughs> stuff like that. So that'd be the thing I'd give him the most hard time for, for sure. <laughs> Mark, I'm curious. We've got out here, you know, at Herd at Sports, you can win $10,000 if we get a hole-in-one. What's the closest? Have you ever hit a hole-in-one, or what's the closest you've ever been? Uh, I had one. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Let's Claim set the to scene. fame. Let's set the scene here. Well, <laughs> tell us about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, six, seven years ago, playing with some buddies at uh, Champions Run. Okay. And uh, hole number three. You seem like a par four type of guy. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, hole number three with a six iron. It was pretty great. Got to see it go in. Some a six iron. So yeah. that had to be a decent distance away. Yeah, it was like 185. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. You know, I was playing in a tournament yesterday, and you could win a car on one of the holes. And, the, of course, the hole they choose, the, the pin is blocked by this hill, so you can't <laughs> see it. The card says it's 185, but I don't think it accounted for the elevation that was also from the tee box. Safe to say nobody won the car that day. But I did tee off with a seven. And if it was about 180, I wish I would have known Mark like prior to this interview because I would have just called in, you know, the lefty from the pen and just said, <laughs> hey, just knock this in. We'll just sell the car and we'll just split the proceeds or the profits. Right. That's Sounds fair. pretty good. Fair with me. Uh, so, yeah, you know, there are a lot of fun things going on, though, as, as Robbie was saying, ten thousand dollars here. What are the fun things going on over on 18? You know, 18, it's just, it's great. You have a lot of, uh, you know, especially Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the crowds get a little bit bigger. You get a little bit of noise and clapping. You know, everybody's coming up and uh, seeing the great shots hit in there, make a good, make a good putt. And just let the players know that we're here for them. We support them in, on their, uh, the journey through the Corn Ferry Tour and hopefully to the PJ Tour and uh, just out there having a good time. Mark, uh, having been associated with the tournament for five years with the Pinnacle Bank Championship, do you have a favorite memory from, the last five years of golf tournaments? Oh, man, that's a hard one. Um, you know, I've got to meet a lot of these guys coming through. Um, you know, David Skins, who's a two-time winner here, mm -hmm. is uh, really hard not to root for. You know, the first time he won, it was a life-changing deal that really got him back into the mix, got him back onto the PGA Tour. At, you know, he's now 41 years old uh, and back here again. But we're, you know, really a big fan of David Skins, and I think he's been a great two-time winner here on the Tour. If I set this up for you, Mark, would you rather have somebody that has already won two events, a guy like Pearson Cootie, win today and get the auto bid? So now like he's he's set, he's yeah. into the PGA. Or would you rather see a guy that's on the outside looking in right now that, you know, a win could put the, put him into the top 30? Yeah, I'd, I'd take I'd probably take the nothing against the. Uh, Cootie, but uh, I'd probably take the guy on the outside looking in. It's pretty neat for them. I, you know, I think Cootie's just fine. He'll make it to the PGA Tour based off what he's done already. And so the, one of the guys outside looking in to give them an opportunity, I think would be great. Mark, we hear all the time about how the players love this event, about how unique it is. What are some of the things in your mind that make it such a memorable stop on tour? You know, I think it all starts with you know, a lot of it starts with the course. I think Jim Nedrow and his staff here at Indian Creek and, and the Yacht family have just done a tremendous job with this course. And I think the length and the rough and, you know, just talking to the players yesterday at the Pro-Am, they all just really enjoy it out here. They like the, the tougher test of golf where they have to hit all the shots in their bag and just not, you know, hit the driver as far as they can and then hit a little wedge into the green. So we talked to, you know, one of the guys and he said, you know, he hit more five and six irons yesterday than he hit the whole previous week. 
Wow. So obviously you're a golf guy, you're a golf family. Um, you probably know a lot of people just in your role that have come to previous events that weren't golf people. Um, and I'm kind of curious on their reactions, their emotions to the day that they spent either on 18 or walking the course or whatever it was. And, and the case that you can make that if they had a good time, there's other golf fans or non-golf fans in the city or even in the state of Nebraska here that may not want to come because it's just, ah, it's, it's a golf event and I'm not really into the sport, but what's your case to make with all of the, the previous uh, stuff that you've compiled over the years with, with, with the families that aren't golf fans to say, Hey, no, you'll have a good time if you come. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a social event as much as anything, as much as a golf event. I think, you know, being outside or, or inside, you know, there's, plenty of places to go get refreshments and relax and uh, take in some good conversation between shots. Uh, and we've got all kinds of different folks out here that, uh, that you can meet from all over the country. You know, I think our volunteer base is from like seven or eight or nine States. Uh, so just that, that piece right there, going out and meet somebody new and, and walk along and taking it in with some good weather this week. All right, Mark, I'm going to ask you, you're a former college go- golfer, uh, family, big into golf and everything like that. I used to golf a lot in my 20s. I haven't in several years. I want to get started again. Where should I start? You know, uh, just just get started is the first thing. A lot, you know, golf takes a lot of time to, mm-hmm. to really get good. But, uh, you know, I think there's plenty of play, uh, places to take lessons. You know, the Nebraska PGA Tour section does a great job in this state. There's plenty of club uh, professionals out there that we're happy to help uh, give lessons to get it going. And like you said, golf's a hard game. So if you can have somebody help you out and get <laughs> off on the right foot right away, uh, I'd, I'd do it. So I think, uh, you know, taking those lessons uh, that a lot of people don't like to do uh, would really help you get off on the right foot again. There we go. So does that mean since I have been playing and I still am not where I want to be, I should be taking lessons? Like, is this is this what we're talking about now? Well, I would tell you all the guys here on the Corn Ferry Tour still take lessons. So that's fair uh, point. That, that tells you something. Fair point. <laughs> Never well, too good to take lessons. <laughs> yep. I feel like I could use pointers every now and then, too. Except when I'm out there, because then everything just goes out the window. Whatever I learn on the driving range is just, it's not there anymore whenever you step foot on the first tee box. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but uh, at least for me. Daily. <laughs> Mark, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for uh, joining us here. Uh, enjoy the event. Enjoy not only the social side of things, but also enjoy your little spot over on 15. And uh, if we're walking the course, we'll say hi. Yeah, thanks again for having us. Pinnacle Bank's proud to be a community sponsor in this event, and we're proud to do it with Aetna and the club here at Indian Creek. And so thanks for you guys for coming out and uh, and doing this. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you too, man. Uh, that's Mark Wisdom, again, Executive uh, Director over at Pinnacle Bank. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> yeah, well, what did I we'll get wrong? No, Executive Vice President. Executive Vice President. No, All right. Fine. I'm That's sorry. Awesome. VP sounds way better, so we should have corrected that. <laughs> um, Executive Vice President over at Pinnacle Bank. Apologize for that. Uh, we will uh, take a break. We'll come back. Again, we're live over at the club at Indian Creek. It's the Pinnacle Bank Championship with Robbie Lula, Andrew Rogers. Lots to still get to. Uh, we have Michael Brunts coming up at the top of the hour. We'll talk to him. Coming up next, we'll get into a little bit of our sport gambling side like you know just pluck it right out of the heart and say this is where we're putting our money this week we'll do the sports six back to close the show we'll also get into some of those athlete diaries the conference realignment right about 9 30 all right let's take a short break when we come back more cnc then
Coffee and Cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. Now, Vegas Insider, Senior Handicapper, and Fan of the Cold Budweiser Bottles, Brian Edwards. It's got to be touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Brian Edwards. I don't really love it. Brian Edwards. Who are they using the cream cheese to butter the bagel? Brian Edwards. I'm going with the cowgirl. Here is Brian Edwards. All right, it's that time where we talk to our gambling expert, Brian Edwards. BrianEdwardsSports.com, MajorWager.com, at VegasBEdwards on Twitter. Brian Edwards with us via StreamYard. Brian, good morning. I'm going to have to keep my voice down, though. You know how my voice carries and how often I just yell and scream for no apparent reason. But the golfers, we're, we're live at the uh, Pinnacle Bank Championship here in Omaha at the club at Indian Creek, and they're about to tee off on 18. So if you hear me ask a question in my Jim Nance voice as we really get low and then Robbie comes in like Tony Romo or whoever, oh, wait, that's a different sport, uh, then you'll know. But, uh, hey, B, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, gentlemen. Well, that's a solid event to be at, but when I first saw you guys, I thought you were in Nebraska's early morning practice. <laughs> not so much. Not so much. Here we are just getting our golf fix in. There you go. Nothing nothing wrong with that. So, hey, you were just uh, out and about in Tallahassee. Uh, you told us you were doing the uncle thing um, this past I, week. So you've I, kind of been away from things. Well, I mean, I, I w- have been in tune to what, what's going on. I just haven't um, got a chance to study UFC uh, for this weekend yet. But my jumper is still um, alive and well as I, I put it on my nephew <laughs> in his uh, driveway yesterday. And I, you I had – I had to dust the rust off the uh, the thirty foot jumper, but it was still there yesterday. Playing in flip flops too. Hey, well, did, <laughs> did you happen to watch the the Jake Paul fight last weekend? I, I did, and I won. I won big money. I um, no I went, way. Yeah, I what went. Uh, I went um, the, the fight to go the distance uh, plus one sixty. But my biggest bet was for uh, the fight. Well, will it make round eight? Yes. Uh, I, I knew that Jake Paul was not knocking out Nadia, and I almost did Jake Paul to win by decision, but I did I didn't, and that was plus two fifty. I really would have cleaned house, but I, I couldn't root for that guy. But I, I figured that's what would <laughs> I, I went to a little party, I walked in, I was like, Look, the the most likely scenario is Paul by decision. You know, Nate's never fought at one eighty five. But anybody thinking this guy's gonna knock Nate out with 10 inch gloves when he's used to nobody not can knock him out with four inch gloves and knees and elbows yeah. and all that. And I was like, this guy's not knocking him out. Although he did knock him down and had him in a little bit of trouble, but he bounced back. I mean, so, uh, it, it was good. I mean, obviously I wish Nate would have won, but, um, uh, it was pretty entertaining. I thought, I mean, it wasn't like, if for boxing uh, junkies, it certainly wasn't uh, the most aesthetically pleasing, but um, I thought it was entertaining. Brian, I want to stay in Tallahassee there with you for a minute. The uh, coaches' preseason poll came out. Florida State was at eight. I know we've talked some college football win totals with you before. I, I, I've been looking at that Florida State. I've got them at ten right now. Is that? Is that the number you've been seeing? And it's pretty even money, both the over and under. 
how do you feel about Florida State this year? And because it seems like there's a little bit of hype train in Tallahassee. Yeah, there definitely is. And they are the offseason darling. And look, man, Jordan Travis is legit. If really you if you really watch really the good. Florida game on uh, Black Friday, the Gators should have won that game. But Jordan Travis just was the best player on the field. Play, I mean, made some crazy play. I don't know if y'all remember Bo Nix Auburn at LSU two years ago mm-hmm. when Nix ran around and made those crazy uh, big plays when it looked like he was going to get sacked multiple times for like a 25-yard loss. We had two plays just like that with Travis. Had him dead to rights. He wiggles out, and then he throws for a touchdown on one of them, and then he runs on third and 10 for like 15 yards to give him first and goal, and he won that game for him. And they did a great job in the portal. Um, I'm already saying too many nice things about my arch rival. but um, No, keep they, them coming. I kind of like Florida State. You just keep yeah. them coming. They got Jared Burst yes, coming back from the NFL yeah. draft. I mean, they got yeah. a they got a good squad. Yeah, no doubt. And look, I mean, the only games where they're not going to be favored are LSU and Clemson, and they're barely not favored in both of those. Point flips, right? Yeah, mo- most books are at uh, last look two or two and a half. Uh, they're underdogs against LSU, and I've seen them anywhere from one and a half to three point underdogs at Clemson. They should be favored everywhere else. I would say a, a tricky spot is going to be at Pitt. Uh, November 4th, especially if Dracovich, you know, meshes with his old OC from Boston College, who's the OC at Pitt. Now, mm-hmm. that could be a tricky spot in a cold weather game. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see where Florida is. I don't think Florida is going to be very good, but they're young. Maybe late in the year that they, they might maybe have a little something for them. But where I uh, concern myself with, with FSU is – their defense, um, they gave up 38 to Florida a week after the Gators could not score at Vanderbilt. And then mm-hmm. Oklahoma was missing all those guys and had more than 500 yards of offense in that bowl game. When all FSU was everybody in, no opt-outs. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma had like five opt-outs offensively, and FSU had to get a last-second field goal to win. So we'll see on their defense. But he, he hit the portal well. And, uh, you know, they – but they've been the off-season darling. So with the off-season darling normally – trips up somewhere where Mm -hmm. you wouldn't think if they lose those two close ones to Clemson and LSU and get tripped up at Pitt, they could go under nine and a half or 10. I've seen the win total at nine and a half or 10 at different prices. So we'll see. We'll see. They got a lot coming back, but they did lose their toughest games last year. They lost uh, to Clemson, NC state and wake and um, had close ones with Florida and Oklahoma down the stretch. So we'll see. B, uh, you know, we found ourselves talking about USC a lot this week, and I was just looking at their win total again. Because if I remember correctly, when you released your rankings, you had USC at 11, if I'm correct. And uh, the coaches poll has USC at six. So I'm like, hmm, this is, I'm, I got the curious case of B probably leaning under here than over. But I'm still going to ask, you know, based on the schedule, when you look at them up and down, they do have to play Notre Dame. They play Washington, of course, UCLA and Oregon. But the over under at 10 right now is plus 100 if you take the over. Would you gamble and, and think that USC only has one loss this year? So I, I think they have a great opportunity um, to get the, the CFP, just like they did last year. 
And, you know, if Caleb Williams doesn't get hurt in the Pac-12 game, who knows? But, I mean, Utah was dominating the line of scrimmage that night. So, I have USC 10, so you're only one off there, Andrew, on on my preseason power rankings. I just don't trust their defense. I know they added a ton of – they got 15 transfers, nine four-stars, and quite a few of those were on the defensive side of the ball. But, look, they were plus 22 in turnover margin last year. I don't think that's sustainable. And – um. You know, um, uh, now part of that is Caleb Williams not turning the ball over. So they probably will be plus in turnovers again, but like maybe plus eight to plus 10. I can't see them being plus 22. The defense gave up 29.2 points per game last year. Again, they've added talent, but I just worry about the defense. And that that top, that conference is going to be tough this year. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Utah's good. Oregon State's good. Washington's good. Oregon's good. UCLA, if the five-star quarterback Dante Moore works out and they got a couple of veteran transfers of QB, if Kelly gets good QB play, UCLA's going to be pretty good. Um, So, you know, we'll see. They miss Oregon State um, uh, in terms of the schedule. Um, But they got some tough ones, man. I mean, at Oregon, Washington at home, at Notre Dame. We'll see. Uh, they've got a good chance at the CFP. I think they've got the best offense in the country. I just, I, I have, I can't commit any preseason bets to them because I just still have my doubts about the defense. I have a lot of doubts too about Tennessee. Sorry to butt in over you, no, here, Robbie, okay. just because I, I was just looking up and down at their schedule and then I looked at their win total and over nine and a half is placed at 155. So expectation on losing, what, three games? just two games right Mm -hmm. in order to cash that and I just I don't see that being possible at all even with how highly ranked they are with them playing Alabama and Georgia uh yeah they do get Georgia at home and I think when Georgia comes there they're going to come there 10 and 0 with 10 double digit wins and I think they're going to get their first close game of the year so we'll see there look guys I think Joe Milton's going to have a monster season uh, I used to question his accuracy. Nobody, I mean, he's like uh, Anthony Richardson, but um, maybe even bigger and maybe even stronger. Um, and they've got better receivers, way better than Florida had last year. And look, I mean, I'm not that high on Alabama this year. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that is a um, a definite L. And but look, the the spot at Kentucky the next week is going to be brutal. They'll be off of hosting AM at Bama. Got to travel two weeks in a row. Um, natural letdown after Bama. Kentucky is going to have two weeks to prepare. That's going to be a very tough spot. And Mizzou's got a good defense. We'll see how Mizzou's quarterback play is. The at Mizzou will be a flat spot ahead of Georgia. Um, and they've lost nine in a row in the swamp, but I think they probably win at Florida this year. Uh, I must say they lose at Kentucky. I think they will will be probably two loss team going in the Georgia game. But and I'm not saying they're going to beat Georgia. I'm saying that that will be a close game. We'll see. I think Joe Milton has a monster year. Heupel's done a great job. We'll see. I'm not on their over or under. But I think Tennessee's going to be good. I have the I have them eight in my preseason power Ooh. rankings. Okay, people are high on Tennessee, man. They are. That's our guy Brian Edwards, Vegas Insider, Senior Handicapper, MajorWager.com. Brian, as always, we love talking to you. We appreciate it, fellas. Y'all have a great weekend. Appreciate it.
Hey, you too, man. Uh, I'm interested to know a UFC this weekend, though, too. I'm going to have to look at the card on my own now, thanks to B. Well, Te- text me. Text me. D- DM me, bro. DM me. I'll, I'll look at it later today. Uh, you know I will, too. You know I will, B. I love you. We appreciate you. See you later. Thanks, guys. Michael Brunt's up next. and cream on hail varsity radio with andrew rogers and damon benning top of the hour here on coffee and cream on espn radio we are live from the club at indian creek for the pinnacle bank championship and i know this comes as a complete surprise to everybody but i had i have already gotten told to lower my voice (laughs) uh when when golfers are in the vicinity um, I, I, I can't the believe the problem is we can't tell when golf is in the vicinity. <laughs> I can't believe that they actually had to tell me that because I am such a low, soft speaking individual. Yeah, I mean, generally, we really have to tell you, like, hey, Andrew, talk like, into the raise, mic, raise up, you gotta project right? your voice a little bit. You know, I know it's, it's, it's the one thing you really struggle with. To it's, be it's, it's pretty nuts. Uh, I'll do my best to uh, make sure that I come back to reality, yeah, and, and lower yeah, my just voice, bring it down, you know, yeah. Which I get. I mean, really, I'll be completely honest. Like, if when I'm golfing, I hate when people are talking in my backswing or this, that, and the other. We are in a difficult spot, though, where we are positioned because it's 17 that we actually got the, um, I I believe, one of our um, course volunteers came over and said the caddy, like, threw up his hands or whatever. And I get it. Like, I really do. But uh, what we're looking at here is a big black wall, and the stands are above yes. us, so we can't even look to the, the right. Only thing and, I can and see, see is black wall, sky, and folding chairs. That's all I got. Michael's, yeah. Michael's here, by the way. Thank you, Shaner. We appreciate you. So, uh, yeah, that's just the pickle that we are in over at mm-hmm. the Pinnacle Bank Championship. Let's talk to Michael Bruns, senior writer for Oscar 24-7, at Michael Bruns on Twitter. He joins the show now. Bruncey, good morning. How's it going? Oh, I just got yelled at for being too loud on a golf course. Can you believe it? Uh, hey, they got to deal with it, right? I mean, people people move tell. around. It, it's part of the part of the deal. You're not uh, you're not playing pub links anymore, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bruncey, uh, lots to get to today. Um, you know, you had uh, wrote a nice piece on the single-digit numbers, and we started with that to open the show. And, you know, I think they were all predictable, uh, at least the majority of them. You had the the Jeff Sims get a number, Billy Kemp. Um, I miss him Luke one. Reimer. Well, Luke Reimer was the one I was going to end with. And Isaac Gifford. And Isaac Gifford. Isaac Gifford was one that he was highly talked about throughout this fall camp, this offseason. Luke Reimer was kind of uh, – you know, a question mark, like as much as he was an impact player last season, it was a situation of, okay, you saw him go to media day, but still people weren't overly convinced that you could, you could see him as one of the guys, the guys on this team that, you know, the, the guys on the team look at him as, Hey, one, one in the top 10%. Was he a surprise to you? Were there any surprises to you with the single digit first release? Uh, What are your thoughts there? Uh, not really. I mean, of the four that would surprise me most, maybe Gifford, I guess. I mean, I, I guess I've always kind of been a little bit higher on Luke Reimer and what he is as a player. I have too. Maybe. And, and I, I think that, that wasn't a surprise to me. The fact that he went to Big Ten Media Days wasn't really a surprise to me. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say he's, he's Nebraska's best defensive player. 
And I think, you know, really what that's not really a surprise. I would also say, too, that the guy that, you know, Gifford has been talked about a lot in the last, you know, week or so. And I think he's going to be really important leadership-wise. But I, I think, you know, he was a little bit more he, – he maybe would have been like a second vote guy for me, um, you know, kind of thinking about it. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'll be curious to see what the next round looks like because there's a lot of options. And, and what we still don't know is how the heck you, you handle linemen at this point. Like as an <laughs> offensive lineman, like if he gets voted, I mean, how, how does that work? So we'll see. Brunt, that was, you know, you led right into my next question there. Uh, Coach Rule said there's going to be multiple kind of rounds of voting by the players throughout fall camp here. Is there some guys that you look at and say, you know, I think they could be up next uh, in line for those single-digit numbers? And is there anyone on either side of the line, regardless of maybe how they handle it? And I don't know if you want an offensive lineman wearing number three or anything, but... (laughs) You know, regardless of how they handle it, is there anybody on either of the lines that you think uh, might be worthy of inclusion in the next round of voting? Oh, I think Ty Robinson. Um, you know, I think so too. Wow, I mean, you are plucking thoughts out of my head. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, does he take a single-digit number? Does he stick with the ninety-nine? I don't know. Um, Maybe just know, goes to nine. On, based on how Matt Rules talked about him in recent weeks as Tommy Hill, that kind of guy. Uh, does he does he keep the zero? Um, you know, a guy that was pretty vocal in the spring about keeping his number um, was Quentin Newsom, and I, I wonder if he's also going to be part of that conversation. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a toughness thing. Um, you know, based on the leadership thing, that rule kind of in passing mentioned that you know Gifford kind of having things locked down was a big help to him. He mentioned Ty Robinson in that same breath. So, I, I mean, I, I think Robinson's probably going to get, you know, that, that next vote. Um, that, that would seem the most obvious to me um, of the guys that weren't announced. But, um, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a few guys. And I, 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 we haven't gotten any clarification from Rule on this, and I don't think that they're going to do it. But, I mean, you could, I guess you could potentially double up numbers, right, with an offensive and a defensive guy. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that's you know needed, but I, I don't think they're going to go that direction. All right, Brunty, I'm being mindful of the guys on the green now, so you're going to get my uh, my golf announcer voice for this next question. Um, oh, I could like I it. could yeah. I convince you, Brian Bushini deserves a single digit? Um, yes, but uh, yes, I, you you could convince me. Um, I. Does he want one? I mean, because he, he switched to 18, which, you know, there was a lot of, you know, meaning for him with the Brooke Berenger con- connections there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, who was it, Matt Rule or somebody this spring said that Buscini was, like, the toughest punter they'd ever worked with. As Coach Rule. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think he's a pretty, you know, good leader. Um, he's pretty good pretty good at doing, like, the dad things at Habitat for Humanity over the summer. I appreciated that he could do those things with the uh, – with the hard hat and the measuring and things. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you could you could sell me on that. I mean, you, you could probably sell me on a guy getting that single digit who is not not a starter on offense or defense but maybe a special teams contributor. I, I don't think that would be a stretch either if, if there's, a, you know, the, the team sees somebody that makes sense. And I think there's a few guys that are going to be, you know, really valuable, you know, all plan on all special teams coverage units and return units and things like that. I, I could see that too. 
Brunts, am I reading too much into the fact that with Jeff Sims, obviously they've got an unquestioned starter at quarterback. They've got a guy that they felt uh, comfortable sending to media days. Now you have a guy elected by his peers to receive one of the uh, single-digit numbers. It, it is. Does this mean anything? Does it translate to anything on the field in your mind, or is it just kind of nice to have your quarterback be seen as a leader? It, it's nice to, to have it. Um, I think it's, it reflects well on Jeff Sims, given that you're a transfer and you come in and you seemingly won over the locker room um, pretty quickly. I mean, I, you, you talk to Jeff Sims, and he's not a huge rah-rah guy from what um, you know, we've been able to tell. But you know, I, I, I think you know, the fact that he's kind of come in quickly and, and not tried to steamroll everybody and, and be that alpha quarterback leader, I think has probably done him pretty well. Um, so, you know, I, I think that helps you. Maybe, you know, if you're in a tight spot, maybe guys are more willing to play harder for him or something like that during the season. I, I don't, it's, you know, kind of hard to quantify the value in that. But, um, you know, I, I have been impressed with how quickly teammates have really kind of focused on him as a leader. And I don't get the sense that it's just like, you know, they're just talking out of the side of their mouth. I mean, I, I think it, he really has done a pretty good job of, of being that guy. And I think, you know, too, when you have – you don't have the competition in the fall. Um, you're able to kind of coalesce around the guy in the summer, and he's running all the passing stuff. And, um, you know, like Matt Rule said, I mean, they, they took him to Indianapolis because you know who the starter is going to be. There's no sense in pretending like he's not. So I, I think when you do that, too, it makes it a little easier to, to kind of rally behind a guy. Brunson, I was reading uh, Schaefer's piece yesterday on the latest on several of Nebraska's targets, their 2024 targets, Brandon Baker being a name, Caleb Benning, Grant Bricks, and then some on this list. Out of all the names that are kind of like in the mix right now, who do you think goes first? Who do you think commits first? And will it be Nebraska that they commit to? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think – I think I would probably put just in terms of who's going to, you know, commit commit somewhere first. Um, I think Grant Bricks is getting down to the end of his um, deliberation. You know, he did the did the last round of visits right at the end of July um, with the K State, Oklahoma, and Nebraska, and kind of you know saw everything again and got around a lot of the commits at each school. And you know, I, I think he kind of has his focus last group. You know, with, with you know Caleb, I think he's you know, going through the process still. Um, we'll see if there's an official visit to Nebraska. I don't know if that's going to necess- be necessary, but, um, you know, every timeline he's said is that he's going to take it into the season. I think Baker's the same way. I mean, for for Baker, you know, this is like a franchise-type left tackle, and, you know, he's taking his time. Um, <laughs> you know, no school is going to run out of spots and, and ice him out or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I think that one probably goes the longest. But, you know, of, of those three, I mean, I think Nebraska's in a good spot for, for Caleb Benning. I think they're in a good spot for Grant Bricks. I mean, I think, again, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about how good Danny Kalen's been as a peer recruiter. I think that's really stood out to, to Grant Bricks. Um, you know, Schaefer went up and saw him yesterday, actually, uh, at, at one of his fall practices, and you know I, he likes Matt Rule. He likes uh, a lot of the um, commits in Nebraska's class, and has kind of gotten to know him pretty well. And you know he's not that far from Lincoln. I mean, it, it's 
it's not the hometown team, but it's not too far either. So I think Nebraska kind of has that going in their favor too. I think for him, it's just a matter of where he feels most comfortable. And, you know, I, I think he more than anybody has been pretty deliberate and pretty, you know, tight lipped about his process and kind of where he's leaning. But I think Nebraska is in a good spot based on, uh, you know, what, what Schaefer said coming out of that visit yesterday. We're talking with Michael Brunts of Husker 24 seven Brunts. When you're looking at the way these first couple of recruiting classes are shaping up for Matt Rule and company, um, I guess a kind of a two-part question here. A, do you think there is a going to be a jump in year two or year three in terms of overall quality of recruits that they're getting that we see sometimes with new head coaches? And and secondly, do you? Have you thought about what you think the ceiling is in terms of the level at which this staff can recruit? Uh, both, I think both answers to your question depend on how they do on the, on the field. I mean, you know, that, that's been kind of the answer for the last three coaching staffs is the, you know, if they can just put it together, the, you know, you can start getting, you know, higher level recruits, things like that. Um, and I, I think that that's, there's potential with that for Matt Rule. I don't think they're going to necessarily star chase. I think they're going to, you know, really focus their efforts and on regional recruits. And and that's been something that I think has been needed at Nebraska for a while. Those guys don't go home quickly when things uh, don't go their way earlier in their careers. Um, you know, guys are more familiar with Nebraska. It's not as big of a culture shock. So I think you're always going to have that. Um, and, and, you know, with the staff, too, I, I think they're always going to, you know, look for the, the Rex Guthrie's and the Callan Barta's and the guys that show up at their camps and broad jump 10-5 and run 4-4s. Like, th- th- that's always going to be a piece of it. I think, you know, what, what maybe helps them and, and, you know, was probably the case in, in the 25 class going forward is now they're finally caught up. I mean, you have to understand that, when you're recruiting kids, it's not just a one-year thing. I mean, now with the way things have sped up, you've got to be on kids, you know, when they're sophomores um, for some of the the bigger-name guys and, and the, the higher-rated guys and, 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 you know, sometimes even earlier than that. So this staff can build relationships, and, and with the value of time and, and being able to kind of figure out where they're going to go in terms of, you know, offering kids and building relationships and stuff, I think, I think you will see – a little bit, uh, you know, a, a few more of those kind of higher rated guys, but it's not like this class is lacking for that either. I mean, I, I think there's still, um, you know, some room for, for Danny Kalen to rise in the rankings. I mean, you're just talking about potentially getting a guy like Grant Bricks, who's a top 150 player. Um, mm-hmm. Carter Nelson, you know, same thing. I mean, he's a top 100 player. So th- they're already getting those guys. Um, and and I, I think with the, the addition of more time, you'll see more of those guys, you know, mentioning Nebraska more frequently, and especially if they can get it done on the field this fall, too, and show some progress. Hey, Bruncy, you know, I'm thinking about um, conference realignment again today and how it affects uh, every sport but football, and you're a big baseball guy, and not that Nebraska is going to have a huge issue with it outside of maybe, like, playing in um, a multitude of weather conditions, but this is the Midwest. We play in a multitude of weather conditions all the time every season, Uh, but in regards to recruiting um, and choosing a school for those up and coming for a sport like baseball um do you find it with a big 
change like this that we're seeing that local kids may choose local over going across the country for every variable in the book with like you know your your parents being able to see you play you know a, a less uh, demanding travel schedule things like that how do you think recruiting is going to uh, uh, be affected by this big shift and realignment yeah it, it's an interesting conversation i mean baseball is a little unique too because it, it's not a full scholarship sport so you know you there, there's a lot of things kind of money-wise you have to factor that kind of relate to, to each individual recruitment too i mean if a you know guy's getting a three-quarter scholarship versus you know something less than that that's a significant decision they have to make um you know in terms of how nebraska operates i mean with, with the way this staff is comprised right now you know they're heavy on local regional like you know not not even the 500 mile radius but even closer in than that and they're going to be huge in Texas. I mean, that, that's just, you know, with Rob Childress, with Lance Harvell, both being Texas guys, Will Bolt being a Texas guy, I mean, that that's going to be the, the bread and butter for Nebraska. Um, you know, I, I am eager to kind of see how, it, as it relates to the Big Ten, how you kind of make this conference work as a baseball conference because, you know, you've got Oregon has dumped a ton of money in, into baseball. Washington is, is good at baseball. Um, USC finally, after 20 years, seems like they're turning a little bit of a corner, um, which that's probably one of the more underreported stories I feel like is what the heck happened to USC the last two decades. Um, and, and UCLA, you know, obviously always there too. Um, and, and you're, by the way, you're entering a conference where everybody plays under different rules because of instant replay. Um, and, you know, you're, you're getting basically an iPhone broadcast of a conference game. Um, it, it, it's a very, you know, different way of life, and, and I'm curious to see how that all kind of comes together. But recruiting wise, I don't think a ton changes for Nebraska, um, you know, with, with the way they're going to approach things. Browns, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned kind of some of the factors with the Big Ten. Does, does bringing in those teams make the Big Ten up their game, or is it still going to be like, hey, if you want to care about baseball, you're kind of on your own? Uh, that's a conference question. I mean, I, you know, I, I think what you've seen the last probably four or five years, and even a little bit further back to when, you know, Nebraska joined the conference, um, you know, Big Big Ten schools, some of them, have started to invest in facilities. That's improved. Um, you know, you've seen some really good young coaches roll through uh, the league. Um you know, the, the problem is, is you just need more of a push from the conference itself on promoting the game. You need it on, on the Big Ten Network more. Um, and, you know, the, the, there's just those factors that, you know, I, I think there's a hunger for it by the coaches and some of the administrators. But you just got to get everybody on the same page and, and having it matter. Um, you know, I know right before Kevin Warren left, he had actually attended a few of the coaches' meetings, um, you know, when they got together, I think it was in Chicago. But, I mean, that, that was a significant thing because it just had always felt like it was, you know, the coaches driving the, the bus and, and the conference kind of did whatever. So if, if the Big Ten itself is willing to, you know, go a little bit more all in on it, I think it can be. But, um, you know, that, that's been what's holding the conference back a lot is, you know, you've had you haven't had the buy-in from the conference and there's been a few schools that have been very vocal about, you know, even the, the paying a third assistant coach, there were, 
schools in the conference that didn't want to do it that have, you know, you're talking some of the biggest um, athletic departments in the conference that didn't want to fund a third coach. Like, it's just crazy. You know, Brunson, I'm, I'm actually happy you brought up the name Kevin Moore, and now I feel like I'm just bouncing around all over the place because you say something and it just it just sparks a new thought in my head. But if do you remember when everybody used to give Kevin Warren so much heat for how he handled things as the commissioner of the conference? And now I'm starting to look at what the Pac-12 did and has been doing and, uh, well, let's just say lack thereof of, of all that stuff. Who do you think did a better job at the end of the day in, like, a, a fan's mind? Like, if a Big Ten fan was deciding, would it be Kevin Warren or would it be the Pac-12? <laughs> Well, I mean, what, one conference is existing and the other one's not. So Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Probably, I still don't uh, know if, if the Big Ten fans can easily forgive Kevin Warren here. And I think some would be so hard-nosed and so hard-pressed to say that, oh, I'm giving it to the Pac-12 just because I don't like Kevin Warren. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think there's part of that. I mean, I think, you know, that bringing in UCLA and USC makes sense. Um, and, and that happened under his watch. You can probably debate how much. Um, how big of a factor he was in that, or if that was the president's and uh, chancellors and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it, I, I, you could probably write a number of, of business management books um, that, that would probably not get read about how bad the Pac-12 has been um, in, in terms of you know the way they ran things, some of the decisions they made, um, you know, just the absolute blunders of. The, the way that they handled the Pac-12 network, um, you know, that, that being probably towards the top. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think too, you also have to go further back. I mean, I, I think Jim Delaney just put the Big Ten in a good spot. And, you know, Kevin Warren was in a, a place where you could kind of keep that going. Uh, I'm eager to see, you know, what they do if they expand more or, um, you know, now they have a different chance or a different uh, commissioner. But I, I, I think you have to probably lean towards the, the conference that continues to exist on that question. That's I would hope, me. but you never know. <laughs> never know. Uh, Michael Bruns, as we get you ready to go here, got about a minute left. Um, is there anything that you're hoping to learn from fall camp? We'll come back to Nebraska here over the next few weeks before the Minnesota game that you think you might actually get to learn before the kickoff of the first game. Uh, maybe some black shirts, right? You, 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 we need to know how Matt Rule is going to do the black shirts. Ooh, I think they haven't heard a lot about those. Question. Um, but no, I mean, I think they're going to be pretty tight to the vest with a lot of the personnel stuff. Um, you know, I, I, maybe next week we get a little bit better picture of what the offensive line actually looks like. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think the closer they get to that game, I, I think it's going to be a little bit more buttoned up and probably take the element of surprise up to Minnesota as much as they can. But, um, yeah, I, I, and, you know, if there's a wide receiver or two that emerges that, that we didn't kind of have on the, on the ledger, that would also be good to know as well because I think you're going to have to have somebody pop up there. Bronte, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. We'll talk again next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Have fun. That's Michael Brunts. Thanks, man. Senior writer for Husker 24-7 at Michael Brunts on Twitter. Okay. Let's continue uh, with what we talked about right about the 820-ish mark. If you were listening, conference realignment, athlete diaries, things I kind of wanted to get into more on how players are reacting to this change, the situational uh, changes that are now being presented. We'll do that next when we come back. We also have the sports six pack to close this to close the show. Stay tuned.
Coffee and Cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. All right, welcome back. So, you know, another thing I wanted to get to before we get into these athlete diaries was, you know, the Mountain West came out and spoke yesterday and uh, they essentially said, like, we're happy where we are. We're happy with the teams here. Um, so I don't foresee any big change in, changes coming in the next year or two. And, you know, I kind of chuckled when I first read that statement because you can't convince me a team wouldn't move to be better off financially and be a part of something much larger yeah. than it already is. You can't convince me that you're not at least going to tickle that idea. Like if you're a team, I get the conference comes out and says this because that's what you kind of have to say, but you cannot, you got to let's, let's be real here. Right? Like, let's be Frank. If I had the option to go to the big 10 or the ACC from um, like I'm Boise state, I've mm-hmm. been a really good football team for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. I've always been competitive. If I got asked to go to the ACC because Washington state and Oregon state were there too. And you know, they expanded more or, you know, Boise state got asked to go to the big 10, whatever it is. You're saying yes. You're yeah. You're saying yes to that because at that time, you'll probably be in divisions Mm -hmm. because it'll be so big by a a year or two from now, you can expect that with all this realignment talk and all these schools being added, that you're probably going to be in pod form. So you can't tell me Mm -hmm. that a team wouldn't take on a better financial responsibility in order to be in a better financial stake. Well, and and it's not just the teams, right? You're also looking at, Okay, if the Mountain West thought they had a realistic shot of landing Stanford and Cal, you're telling me they wouldn't do that? And they probably don't, right? Mm-hmm. They probably are going to the ACC or I'm guessing not the Big 12, but who knows? If they have an opportunity to go to one of those conferences, they will. But, you know, the ACC met on those two teams yesterday and they didn't get to the point where they actually were going to take a vote on it. So it's a little up in the air still whether or not the ACC finally makes a move on Stanford or Cal or not. And so maybe you can't tell me that if, if Stanford and Cal come knocking on the mountain West conference door, that they're not opening that thing expeditiously, right? Right. They're opening that thing in a hurry. Kind of going off that kind of got me thinking because we've, you know, and Brunt said, you know, we we've assumed this whole time that the PAC 12 is just going to cease to exist, which is the most likely scenario. Right. But is it, at all possible that they kind of try to do what the big 12 did a few years ago and start bringing in some of those, like Mm -hmm. you could Mm -hmm. bring in a Boise state, maybe a San Diego state, uh, maybe a Colorado state. Some of these teams that yes, they are a next level down in terms of programs, but they probably have larger ambitions for their athletic departments. I know Boise state does for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious if that's, at all an option or if because of where they're at in the TV negotiation process where it expires after this year, that they just don't have a chance to do that. I, I don't want to misspeak here. I do believe the PAC 12 will cease to exist after this year, but I, I don't know that it's uh, like a hundred percent foregone conclusion. I mean, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. like I, I, yeah. I think there are I, like you'd have to be crazy if you're the big, if you're the Pac-12 conference, not to be trying right now, right? Like it's like they're just gonna throw their hands up and be like, "Well, I guess we're dead." Yeah, yeah. You don't wave the surrender flag. Not yet. No. Not until you have to. Especially when you still have teams there. Right. Until the other four teams find a home and say, "We are out." But you also have to. You also have to tell these teams, like, "Hey, 
we're doing everything we can Absolutely. to rebuild this thing. So Absolutely. don't leave yet. Yeah. Like if and and you know what? If you want to give me a, a timeline, if you want if you want to give me a hard out of hey, if by you know December fifteenth yeah. of this year we don't have a, a good you know we don't have a good plan on what's about to happen sure. or we don't have teams saying yes Committed. to us, yeah. then, okay, you, I would pursue other opportunities. Well, even, you know, even having, you could put some incentives in there for the four teams that stay say, Hey, you get a larger share of this mm-hmm. next TV deal mm-hmm. to kind of make up some of the gap. Because listen, if you're going after uh, you know, group of five college football teams, then they'll probably be willing to take a little less because it's more than they're getting now. Right. That way you can close the gap for Stanford and Cal and Oregon State and Washington State on a Big 12-type money or an ACC-type money. You're not getting close to Big 10 or SEC money. But if you can say, hey, we're going to give you 50% more than we give everybody else for this first TV contract to try and stay afloat, like I I don't think it's totally out of the question that they try and retool. Just I I keep thinking back to when Texas... They'll try to retool. Yeah, I keep thinking back to when Texas and Oklahoma I just don't see it being a foregone conclusion either of like right. they get it done the the most likely scenario is absolutely that they still dissolve and no mm-hmm. longer exist but i i felt the exact same way about the big 12 not that long ago and the big 12 has found a way to survive so mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when you're talking about this level of money it helps so that you know they are in the center of the country. Sure, for the majority Gives of the them time. More options. Basketball is a prestigious conference yes. for them, uh, so they I think they had some advantages that the yeah, Pac-12 they, did. They were a lot sure. stronger than the Pac-12, and their TV deal was long further out than it currently is with the Pac-12. The fact that the Pac-12 let it get to this point is malpractice. You know, like Stanford could probably sue whatever is left right. of the Pac-12 for allowing it to even get to this spot. But um, it, it that's just something I've been thinking about the last kind of day or so of, you know, like, what would that even look like if they tried to read? Like, I put myself in the, the position, if I'm the Pac-12 commissioner, what would I be trying mm-hmm. to do right now? And I'd be trying to land at least a couple of the highest profile group of five schools in San Diego State and Boise State are not terrible ways to go. And now I know this is a burden for student athletes as well. And so I talked to three of them. I mm-hmm. did, Well, obviously, I live with one. I live with a cross-country runner, a sure. former cross-country runner. And then I talked to a baseball player that I went to school with and a softball player because that's kind of the two the two sports that people were most talking about whenever it came yeah. to the travel that would come and, with, and with all this stuff. Frankly, they're the highest level of non-revenue right. sports that we see in college. Right. So um, just we'll start with my my fiance, Ashley. You know, the biggest thing for her was having her parents attend everything. Sure. And the longest trip Lindenwood made was a bus trip to Nebraska Kearney. That was okay. an eight-hour drive. Yeah. But if her parents were forced to do a seven, eight-hour flight, for one, they couldn't afford it. Sure. Not and consistently, two, right? And two, um, that also requires you to miss work, and you probably just feasibly can't do that. Because you have other things to take care of, maybe back at home. But when they can drive four hours to go to Lindenwood to watch some cross country race, they can make that happen in a day. Yeah, you can do that on a weeknight, right? Yeah. So, like that was a big thing for her and how how she kind of rested. So that was one point. Then the second point. This is a true story from my buddy that played ball. He said we once had a trip to Texas. This is when they went to the College World Series for Division Mm Two. Once had a trip to Texas. Coach packed the bus with every freshman who could come. Obviously. But what does that actually do on a bus trip? 
That means instead of having two seats to put my feet up on, now I have one and I have to sit face forward going to Texas. You know how long of a drive it is to get to Texas from St. Louis? It's at least a 12-hour drive, yeah, it's a, at it's least. So that's how it started. And then they got home from the trip at 7.45 in the morning, 7.45 on Monday morning. So coach, they're in class 15 minutes later? Coach goes, you have enough time to get to your 8 a.m. <laughs> sure. True story. Sure. Absolute true story. And so that's when I was talking about how academics and, and athletics really needs to come together and say, okay, how do we provide proper lesson plans and, and, and really plan something out for these athletes that do have to make these extended stays and X place across the country or whatever. And then it fell into, um, it, it fell into what Adele was saying with softball because she actually wasn't very phased with the move mm -hmm. and it was unique because i was i was curious like okay is this just because you actually believe it's okay or is it your personality and i found out quickly it was her personality mm -hmm. because what she does before any trip this was even if you traveled four hours she would go to her she would go to her uh, uh, professors and and have a plan in place, prep what needs to be worked on, uh, have a meeting scheduled for when they come back so that she can meet with the professor and say, did I learn this information all um, the way I should be learning it? And now it's an exhausting process, but that's what worked for her. Sure. And by doing that, everything else kind of fell into place for her. She never felt like the woes of travel because she was always a good traveler. Sure. She never felt like out, out yeah. uh, like unprepared, like, or yeah. out of the loop with anything because she had everything in front of her. And so when she initiated that flexibility with her professors, you figured out what to do on the front end. Mm -hmm. Her trip was then stress-free and became less taxing on her mental health. Now she did mention the recruit thing, which I actually brought up to, to Bruncey about, Hey, it, she, she said, if I could have gone local and stayed local because it is closer to everything I would mm -hmm. versus if I knew I had to travel all over the place, but it, it just goes to show that all athletes are different. All athletes are completely different. Yeah. And, um, you know, it affects people differently, but they should have been asked. That's how I'm going to rest this whole thing this week. They should have been asked, or at least somebody should have been on the, like, in contact with the board to be a, a speaker for these kids. Sure, yeah, representative, absolutely. All right, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll do the sports six-pack. A lot of your fun questions awaiting. Stick around for that. Cam will be our reader, and we'll do that next. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. Time now for the Sports Six Pack on Coffee and Cream with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Presented by Zipline Brewing Company, makers of Dear Old Nebraska Brew, the official beer of Nebraska alumni. It is that time. One of our favorites here on the show. It's the Sports Six Pack because we get to drink figuratively. Shane actually gets to drink back at the studio. He drinks all the Zipline beer for us. So absolutely. Um, I, I really would like one right now. We've been baking it's in the a little sun. Warm, yeah. I know. I feel like my back is a fish stick and the front is like still frozen. Like, or it's like a, the inside of a hot pocket when oh, you yeah. microwave it for three minutes and it's ice cold on the interior, but the outside is just so scorching hot to touch. Oh, mm. love it. I do like hot pockets. I do though. love a hot pocket. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, hot a, maybe a hot pocket is uh, in for, uh, in for my lunch today Ooh. who knows who knows you heard cam's voice there he'll do the six pack for us uh the zipline is the premier sponsor of the six pack and they 
have a can opener tropical ale that I tried the other day. And mm, 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 guava and lemon chain, you would hate it because you've never tried it. So you will never try it because all you do is drink Acres and dear old Nebraska brew and every other Zipline beer. And I'm not allowing you to try this one or else you'll drink the whole six pack. Hmm. Well, all right. <laughs> I was I was happy to hold on to that six pack for you for about a week, though, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Cam. I it didn't go away. I, just, I kept it in my fridge at work. <laughs> hey, Shane, kick us off. Question number one. I love how I get an intro myself. That's so fun. Uh, Ken came through on the YouTube with the question. He said, uh, would going to college in the Big Ten actually help the athlete and be beneficial mm. to get used to that type of travel? Mm, statement turn question here. Um, let's say that's a definite possibility depends but, on what it, sport you're in but i still think even for major league baseball players that traveling as much as they do is taxing on their bodies sure and being away from their families and constantly being invested i mean that's their job right so we're talking about an athlete's job here especially in in the pros but think about it now from a college point of view not a lot of people acknowledge that these are jobs for these Sure. for these men and women. Yeah, they yeah. are jobs. And now they're trying to balance school at the same time. It's just so much more difficult at the end of the day just to be a college athlete. And that's ultimately why I care so much about this whole realignment thing and the perspective of student athletes because nobody realizes that they're working two jobs. You're working one when you're realigning this conference. You're working one when you're playing Major League Baseball. You're well, not going to school and you're not also playing at the same time. you think those guys also have a real job as well too? Some of them at least? Major League Baseball players? No, no, no. Like college <laughs> athletes. Like they're, they're athletes, they're students, and they also probably And they may work at the, the local shoe store. Right. Right? Yeah. Some of them, yeah, especially in the non-revenue mm-hmm. sports. Exactly. They, they try and... Now, you know, NIL has helped a ton. Sure. And, I, and yeah. that is huge for these athletes. But not everybody gets a great NIL deal either. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the sports we're talking about that are that are kind of your non-revenue Olympic sports. Um, yeah, I, I think it can be... Honestly, I think it's more valuable in terms of like life experiences and seeing different parts of the country, seeing different types of people, seeing how different people live in different parts of the country. Um, so from that point, it can be valuable, but that doesn't make it less taxing on you. Go ahead, Shane. Question number two. (laughs) I I need to hear the ch. That's great. Uh, Ray in Omaha says, uh, Andrew. Yes. Robbie and the guys grade your fantasy draft (laughs) from last night. All right. So we did a fantasy draft where our ladies were drafting the teams without the advice of those that watch. Okay. All right. So let me pull up my team. (laughs) So I, I believe Ashley took Matt Gay in the ninth round. Um, okay. But let me uh, – I, can I go back to see the draft? I don't know if I can. I'll just read you my team. Yeah, let's just see the roster. Okay, well, my I had the second overall pick, and she took Amari Cooper. Um, my, okay. my first pick – or the next pick was Mahomes. And then she kind of got the – she kind of realized that, hey, the better players are at the top. Oh. So then she started drafting pretty well. She got B. John Robinson and Josh okay. Jacobs, okay. Garrett Wilson, Kyle Pitts, went with Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. Here's the uh, magic child, Matt Gay, that I think she took in the eighth round. Running back heavy. There Running now. back heavy. Aaron Rodgers on the bench because that's my last name and soon to be hers. Uh, Alvin Kamara, <laughs> Javante Williams, Christian Kirk, Zay Flowers, Dalton Kincaid. Okay, so I could have used uh, maybe switched out one of the running backs for another wide receiver. Would have mm-hmm. been good. Um, overall, I think pretty strong though. Yeah. I'm gonna ten give, team league. I'm, I'm gonna give that like a solid 
A minus. Wow. I all think. right. I am in good shape I because mean, like, there's a punishment, and I think we either have to do the one chip or bowl up to three thousand. I mean, Bijan and Josh Jacobs by themselves are like that's real solid. Well, not too well shabby. done, Ashley. Not too shabby. Go ahead, Shane. Question number three. <laughs> that's the best. Uh, at the end of September, Minnesota's football record will be three and two. Oh, Minnesota. Who do they have in September? They play Nebraska. I knew that one. And I'm giving them a loss. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm giving them a loss. And I believe they play another big team. Is it UNC? I'm fine. We're bringing it up right now. Okay. I'm going to say they lose to UNC, so too. we've got Nebraska, Eastern Michigan, UNC, Northwestern, all and mm. Louisiana. Yeah, I gave three and two. I think that's a good guess. Um, yeah, I think we're taking losses to Nebraska and North Carolina. Yeah, I think we're at three and two. Uh, at best, they'll go four and one. At best, with yeah. a win against UNC. Yeah, I'm not totally sure what North Carolina is this year, so we'll see. Shaner, question number five. It's four. You missed it. Oh, I guess I've been drinking too much already. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Kev. The zip line's flowing. Uh, you're back to school shopping. What's more important for the first day of school from a student's perspective, the school supplies or the outfit? Outfit, 100%. I don't know, man. School My, supplies, like fancy pens, nice backpack, cool lunchbox. Man. Like, we're talking about all things so, school supplies here. Here's the thing. Gotta show up looking fly. The backpack is part of the outfit at mm. school. Not not in this question. Absolutely is. No. Cam's no, 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 on no, my school you. supplies. It's, it's school you. supplies. It's two on one here. No, 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 no. You can't add it's that to You one. can't add that to the fit. <laughs> the fit is what I'm wearing on my, uh, on my body, and not you're what's wearing, over my body. You're wearing a backpack on your body every single day. Nope. Um, it's 100% the fit. You got to look cool. You can figure out. You can always borrow a pen from somebody. Stop. You, you don't want to be the right. guy that borrows a pen on the first day. Every Get day. out of here. Every day. Stop it. The backpack <laughs> if you're is, looking fly enough, you can borrow a pen on the first day. Exactly. The, backpack, the backpack is a part of school supplies, and I am definitely going with outfit. I think you're outnumbered here. Cam's with me. <laughs> yeah. Outfit's <laughs> deal. Now we're on five, Shane. Now five? Yeah, the real question number five. <laughs> <laughs> question five. Would you rather get a hole in one uh, in golf or win the $10,000 from somebody else's hole in one? Wow. So the $10,000 hole here. Would yeah, I right rather here. get 10 G's or make a hole in one? Yeah, you can come out here, sign up at the Herd at Sports Pavilion. You got to be present to win. Mm-hmm. But if somebody hits a hole in one on the 17, I'll here, tell you what, hole in ones are so hard. It's. It's so easy to make 10 grand, right? You work enough, you make 10 grand. You work enough with golf, you don't always get a hole in one. Mm. And I'm taking the hole in one just because that is so the clout. difficult yeah. to have. And if you have that in your tool belt, can, can I imagine telling the golfers in my family that are better than me that I got a hole in one and somebody could back that up? Uh, yes, and I would never let them live it down. Mm. I'm taking the 10 Gs. Yeah, I'm just taking the money. Taking the money and running. You could take that money and invest it and make a ton of money. That's, so that's uh, not yeah, a bad yeah, idea. I'm just taking the around. money and running. I <laughs> Like, listen, you hit a lot of good golf shots. Hole-in-ones are largely luck because you have to hit a good shot. Mm-hmm. But sure, a lot of really good golfers. I'd rather be lucky than good, one. though, right? You know, I'd rather be <laughs> $10,000 richer than lucky. So, <laughs> The heck with the 10G. I'm taking a six-pack from Zipline. That a yeah, boy. There you, go. there you go. Question number <laughs> six. <laughs> he just wanted to hear the burp. Yeah, question six. Uh, you're down four. Two minutes to go. Build your ultimate Nebraska team, but you can't choose a Heisman winner. Mm. One QB, one wide receiver, 
one running back. Go. Man, I'm going to go oddball here first. Okay. Give me Joe Gans as my quarterback. You're out of your mind. Give, give me, me Joe because <laughs> give me Tommy Frazier as my QB. I'm going oddball. Full stop. Okay. Running back. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm telling you why Joe Gans is my pick here. I mean, it's wrong, but go ahead. Back in 2008. There's nothing wrong about Joe Gans. <laughs> okay. Back in 2008, Joe Gans was, I mean, he was, it may not be a popular pick, Robbie. But he was put up against some very good quarterbacks in the Big 12 that year. Cole McCoy, Chase Daniels. He had 3,500 yards, most out of any quarterback in Nebraska history. 25 TDs, 11 INTs. Uh, Sam Bradford was playing for Oklahoma at that time. I mean, he was matched up against some big guys, and he still had the numbers to back it up. I'm taking Joe Gans to hand the ball off to Amon Green. Two-time national title winner, Tommy Frazier, full stop. Um, Running back, I'm going to go with my – I'm going same team. I'm going Lawrence Phillips. Uh, Incredible, incredible player for Nebraska. And – yeah, gotta go, gotta go. T. Frazier and, and uh, Lawrence Phillips, and then I'll end with Stanley Morgan Jr. Ooh, I'm going way back in the day. Only number one overall pick in Nebraska history, Irving Fryer as my wide receiver. There you go. My team's winning. Nice yeah. teams. Your team not lost. against mine. Your team <laughs> lost. Tommy Frazier fumbled, and all of a sudden, uh, there goes their opponent all the way down the other way. You should have picked Joe. Gans. How many national titles did Joe Gans win? Hey, he didn't have to win any to be in my ultimate team. <laughs> Sorry, sorry that I like to be different, Robbie. You chose the answer 98% of people chose. I'm sorry you don't like to win. That's no, fine. It, but I'm telling you, if I'm building an ultimate team and I'm, I'm running the team on Madden, oh, you can bet your bum I'm winning. All right. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. We appreciate all our sponsors, too. Not only just Zipline, but Nebraska Public Media. They have In the Deed, the Glory Memorial Stadium coming up on Sunday. Uh, Pratt Dental and their uh, new BioClear method, uh, less invasive way and an alternative to a crown. Dingman's, of course, they have some awesome nonprofits, the Give Back programs, Epic for Girls, plenty other there too. And then the Storm Chasers as well, because as we told you yesterday, you can see some highlight plays when you're watching the Storm Chasers. Just like you can watch highlight plays when you see my ultimate team uh, get the touchdown and Robbie's, uh, well, let's just say flop. So uh, we appreciate you and we will see you tomorrow.